0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to Southern Sports Central. Your source for all things sports. With your host, Richie Altman. Richie Altman. And Eugene Benton taking your calls at 323-323. 784-9681. Now, let's join Richie in the studio.
2: Are you ready?
1: Hey, think you could tell us what to do?
2: Do You think you could tell us what to wear? You think that you're better? Get ready.
3: Bow to the men.
4: Bring it down. Good job of the morning to everybody. I'm Richie Albin, live here on Southern Sports Central, our final Saturday morning show before college game day takes over. And of course, that will be next Saturday. They'll be in Charlotte doing what they do, hanging out with uh, the team and getting you ready for the Gamecocks and the Tar Heels. But today we get you caught up on the action from last night, Friday Night Lights, in full effect uh, all night long across the great state of South Carolina. And then today it is week zero, as it was week one last night in high school football in South Carolina. It's week zero across the country, across the world, if you will, because a couple of teams are playing in Ireland today. It is week zero in college football. We're going to get you caught up. As I said, I am Rich Yelman, the host of Southern Sports Central. Glad to have you with us. If you're a first-timer, we welcome you to the family. We welcome you to the three-power-hour show of Southern Sports Central. It is a loaded one today with four solid guests coming in to touch base on every hot topic from the world of high school football to the game of college football, everything across the board and everything in between, as we'll start off at 1015 with Jarrell Hendricks, as he always He kind of comes in and hangs out with us. He's part of one of the team members of Moving the Chains. These guys do an incredible job taking control of covering the state of South Carolina. They get in their cars and they head whichever way they need to to cover the game of the weeks. I think they had two different games last night they were in. uh, We'll get them caught up with Jarrell to kind of see what they saw last night and also kind of get into some of the upsets that could have happened last night. One in particular happened to our Team of the Week last week. So could that be the Team of the Week? They've beaten them this week. We'll find out more about that conversation on that interview. Also, looking around the state on other games that happened, from the high school league to the Skiza league. We'll talk about some of those games from Myrtle Beach area all the way to northwestern side of town and Rock Hill, all the way into the Midlands, and then we'll cover it all the way up into the upstate, which, of course, is the Greenville, the Spartanburgs. And there was another upset. Or is it an upset? Dutch Fork, could they have gone 0-2 for the first time? And I don't know ever. I don't ever remember since Tommy Knox has been running that program and doing what he's done, winning eight out of the line, the last state championships. Have they ever been 0-2? They may be that conversation. It is that conversation. It's Spartanburg, I believe, was the team that knocked him down last night. Boy, we'll get into that, of course, with Terrell and... Uh, We'll kind of look around on other games. They had a game of the week, and the one thing that I like about what Jarrell does, he's kind of done a good job of basically embracing and endorsing you got to eat. You remember that used to be a part of college game day, or college, uh, I think Thursday nights they did it, but he's doing it as he hits stadiums. So we'll talk to him about what he ate last night. Where did he um, enjoy and what he recommends if you hit that stadium on a Friday night? Then at 11 o'clock, we come back to the Low Country where we hang out with Kevin Belladue. He is our Live 5 CBS guy. He also covers his mother's the Low Country. And we'll talk to them about their game of the week. I believe they were on James Island in the backyard over there for a – it was a big game for James Island. They hosted Stahl, and uh, we'll get the details from him on that. Also, there were a few games that I think might have caught some attention. I know Somerville was on the road. They went up to the Grand Strand. Ashley Rich played at Somerville last night. We'll talk about that and why that happened last night as they hosted Kane Bay and Coach Tate is second. Um, let's say his, I guess it's his first game officially, right? It's the second time in that stadium because the week before they played in the classic or the showdown over there. But we'll talk about Coach Tate's opening day. And uh, he did it over at the district off Somerville High School football field yesterday. And uh, we'll talk about that as well. Uh, Fort Dorchester, they hit the road last night. They were headed down to Beaufort to play the defending 3A state champions. Remember, 3A state champions were beat the week before by Kane Bay. Could they also see uh, another Charleston team, our Dorchester County team at this point, come in there and handle business? We'll talk about that with Kevin. Billy do as well. And, uh, again, it's Somerville. Are they where we think they are? Are they who we think they are? And James Island, you're on the board as well because what a big night you've had And, of course, uh, we'll get into Mr. Johnny Waters. He wins a second game in a row. Again, a lot of firsts. uh, He may be a team of the week to watch out for as well. Then at 1130, we change gears a little bit. For the last hour and a half of the show, we catch up with Reginald Walker, Jr. He's part of his show, The Shutdown Corner, former corner, by the way, with Penn State. We played for Joe Pa back in the day. He's over there on ESPN out of Charlotte, but he'll catch up with us on the big college game day that's heading into Charlotte next Saturday. They'll focus on North Carolina and South Carolina, the Tar Heels hosting the Gamecocks, if you will, over there, and uh, the Tar Heels State. Big game day party happening as well. Uh, curious said he's going to be a part of that festivities. We'll get into that with him as well. Also get an update on the ACC. Any new things happening? We do know that they have shown interest a few teams going west two teams out of California, and SMU kind of comes into the conversation. And it's an interesting deal because if things kind of happen the way that we think they could happen, you could see Clemson and, of course, Florida State. Now the 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 gamblers in the world, uh, the cooler talk is that they're going to go to the Big Ten in some and the SEC in others. I personally, as an SEC guy, wants to see Clemson and Florida State in the SEC. I don't really want to see them in the Big Ten for multiple reasons. Multiple reasons. We can get into that as well. But, of course, Reggie is a Big Ten guy. He played in the Big Ten. His thoughts on how that's going to work out. Now, if and when Florida State and or Clemson leaves the ACC and they bring in uh, these schools out of what's going to be formally known as the Pac-12 and Stanford and Cal, they come over to the ACC, and then SMU joins the conversation. That's, That's interesting. That's the interesting part for me. But that becomes almost like an Ivy School league you know, without having the Tigers and, and the Seminoles in there, even though they they have their grade point averages up, and I'm not saying they wouldn't still be considered that. But, man, I tell you, the spring sports of that conference would be very impressive as um, that is what Stanford's going to bring. They're going to bring that Olympic mentality of, of spring sports, uh, what they do over there with uh, a pipeline to the Olympics, if you will. Then at twelve o'clock we head over to a good buddy of ours. The guy that started on this show as a guest, and he would come on and he would be a caller and he would join us and he would talk a lot of love about this team called Oklahoma, the Sooners. But if I'm not mistaken, those in Ohio, because he's a transplant over there, but he's still a big Oklahoma guy. He was a big Big Twelve guy when he would come on the show and talk to us about, you know, how big the Big Twelve was and how things were, and so we'll get into that with Tim. And by the way, he's created his own network, his own brand now. It's called the Tim Bailey show over there on Facebook. You can find Tim Bailey, uh, Timothy Bailey on Facebook, but he does a great job. I listened to his show yesterday morning as I was heading around town, and I thought he did a really great job. He partnered up with some really five-star dudes, and they, of course, are getting it done. But, of course, as you know, Oklahoma, Texas, they are on their farewell tour around the Big 12 this year. They're going to go around and tell everybody goodbye throughout the year, and they will join the SEC next year in Miami process of elimination, design, however you will. We welcome back the big rival between the Big 12 rivals. That was Texas A&M and, and even Texas A&M and Oklahoma and Missouri, part of that conversation. So there's four of these guys that know each other, that have played together in yards before, that will be reintroduced again. That's going to be kind of a neat story. And maybe we haven't talked enough about that neither, uh, but that, of course, is one of the many things that we'll get into as well. So there's just a lot happening today. We're excited to talk high school football. Again, we do that always in hour one and into half of hour two, and then we break it up as the college conversation will come in heavy towards the back end of the deal. And again, there are college football games today, and that's kind of uh, in itself is exciting, because week zero is going to get you Notre Dame and Navy, UTEP and JSU, Hawaii and Vanderbilt, UMass and New Mexico State, Ohio San Diego State, San Jose, and Southern Cal, FIU, and La Tech wrapping up the games today. Of course, as you guys may know or may not know, uh, the Notre Dame game is actually going to be held in Ireland. Kind of a neat deal, Navy-Notre Dame game. That's going to kick off at 2.30. Then it becomes uh, a 5.30 game for UTEP and JSU, the Gamecocks there. Uh, Hawaii and Vanderbilt. Now Vanderbilt Stadium not done, and everybody's kind of hustling and bustling these guys. But I heard it pronounced. I heard it said pretty well the other day. They are putting a millions and billions, they're putting so much money in upgrading this facility. And I don't even think, really, quite frankly, we focus on the game on the field. Be glad to have college football back, and to see if Vanderbilt. Remember, this is a five five win team last year. We'll, we'll talk about Vanderbilt a little bit uh, early or later in the show as well. Uh, New Mexico State and UMass, that's a 7 o'clock game. And Vanderbilt, by the way, hosting Hawaii at 7.30. Uh, 7 o'clock, also Ohio and San Diego State. 8 o'clock, primetime game is San Diego, uh, excuse me, is uh, San Jose and Southern Cal. And then, of course, FIU and La Tech wrap it up at 9 o'clock tonight. So there is high school football game to talk about early college football game will kick off today at 2 p.m., and you will be with us here until about that time. So here's what we'll do, guys. We'll take a quick break. We're going to get ready for our first guest to join us here just a few, Jarrell Hendricks from Moving the Chains will get in here with us. He'll talk to us about what's happening around high school football, around the great state of South Carolina. Uh, there were some upsets last night. There were a few games that, quite frankly, um, maybe catches some opinions and some eyes, and definitely some eyebrows raised yesterday as uh not sure the last time we saw Dutch Fork have a conversation about being 0 and two. So we'll talk about that and much more. You're listening to Southern Sports Central. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at SO Sports Central. Follow us on of course the Instagram South South underscore sports underscore central and on Facebook at Southern Sports Central. Guys we're taking a break, coming back, it is all well High school football, right after this. Take it away! Welcome back, everybody, and without further ado, we gave him the five-star introduction, and, whoa, it is time to get in with Jarrell Hendricks with Moving the Chains. My man, what's going on? Got you that Ric Flair introduction because you're doing big things. <laughs> man, it I is week it. one. <laughs> man, how was it last night, man? You guys are just burning up. I wish you guys got paid by the mile, bro. You guys would get, oh, my God, you guys would be doing well.
5: Yeah, man, we took a little trip uh, further into the Midlands last week. We went and saw Sumter and Ridgeview play. Uh, the game did not go as expected, but that tends to happen with hmm. these uh, big-time non-region matchups sometimes. But uh, had a great environment down there at Sumter. First class, um, but Sumter was able to win that game 42-19 to over Ridgeview. Just too much, too physical for, for Ridgeview, but we had a great time.
4: Now let's let's stay there for a little while. I, I really thought that was going to be a, a game to remember, an instant classic, is what I tweeted out after I saw you guys were hanging out in the yard over there at Sumter with the Gamecocks and taking on a very good, very very good team that they brought out of Columbia to, to, to host with them. What was the, the trickery? I guess what what I mean. It started off pretty fast, pretty quick, and Sumter just had every answer. From Adam. Yeah, yeah. Sumter actually started
5: off with a trick play in this game. Uh, Jonathan Peoples with a a halfback pass uh, went about 70 yards, you know, to start it off. The ensuing kickoff was fumbled by Ridgeview. Uh, Sumter recovers inside the 30. They punch it in. So, they go up 14-0 early, and it kind of just snowballed from there. Uh, Ridgeview just really couldn't get their legs, man. They were, again, kind of like the game we were at last week. They were just getting dominated in the trenches. Uh, Ridgeview couldn't get a run game going. Uh, Sumter's run game was unstoppable. They got a two-headed monster with Peebles there. And and, uh, and Fortune uh, just executed. You know, Coach Barnes there, Sumter's one of the best in the state. Um, and he proved why. He's got a really good physical football team. Uh, I, I think some inexperience was showing for that Ridgeview defense, uh, especially in the back. You know, Sumter didn't throw it too much. Uh, but when they did, it was effective. And, you know, they were able to convert some really long third downs time and again, uh, played defense, just got after the quarterback, forced them into bad decisions on the Ridgeview side, and really just couldn't get any anything going. The, the score was actually – it could have been a lot worse than what it was. Uh, Sumter kind of took their, their foot off the pedal, you know, in the second half. I think it was 35-7 at, at halftime. And uh, just the game, you know, just – we thought, like you said, we thought it was going to be must-see TV. It was actually, you know, broadcast by the, the Fox station down there in the Midlands. But uh, the game just didn't turn out. But that happens, you know, these early games. Uh, but, you know, Coach Howard right. will rally the troops to get those guys going. It's a young team at Ridgeview, but they're uber-talented as well.
4: Yeah, they are definitely. Now, Sumter improves the 2-0 after beating, I think, uh, week zero they won. Of course, they come in now week one. It's hard to keep up with this week one and zero and all. But, anyway, <laughs> uh, Sumter with a big win at home. Now, the other game, if I'm not mistaken, you guys had something, someone, was it at Andrew Jackson and Fairfield Central? Another game that, you know, Andrew Jackson last year, I thought, you know, pretty good team. Thought they had some guys coming back, but wasn't their night. Fairfield Central, another home team win, 33-16. Uh, tell us a little bit about that game. Yeah,
5: John, another member of our crew was, was down there, um, you know, at Fairfield Central down there in Winsboro catching that one, uh, but it was just a game where, you know, Fairfield Central, they're just really talented on offense, and, uh, you know, it's kind of progressed. It, it finished 33-16. to um, A.J.'s got a really stud running back in Trey Thompson. He's a senior. Uh, he got loose a couple times, you know, a couple scores there, uh, but Fairfield Central's a real deal. I mean, I think they came in ranked number four in the prep poll this week, um, and they earned that mm-hmm. ranking, man. They're just a, a very solid team defensively uh but but they got a stud quarterback, I think he's a sophomore um in cam Mcmillan, and uh they're a very, very good team man there's just that that two a classification they've got some really legitimate contenders down there and uh Fairfield Central if you haven't been to winsboro that's a, that's another good environment. We called it actual a playoff game there a few years ago, uh but that's a good one, so John was there, me and Kevin were at Sumter. uh but it was it was a really good game as well.
4: Now of course uh, there is one coach that we'll always continue to kind of catch up with, and that is Coach Holmes. Every Gray Collegiate, they hosted Crestwood, uh, and again they were home the week before. That was your game of the week last week, but it wasn't quite as easy for them this week. If this score is right, sixty-two to sixty, a hell of a lot of offense, ain't a lot of defense, but enough offense for Gray to pick up win number two to head in to another week with a dub. Man,
5: I tell you, like those are that's the hard thing when we pick these games. I think we went to Gray a week too early. Uh, that was an instant classic there, like you said. All offense, but there was defense when it mattered. Uh, Michael Bolware. remember that name. Uh, you, you probably heard it before. His dad, uh, stud linebacker in the NFL, and, uh, you know, comes from that Boulware family. But he made a great stop for great collegiate uh, to keep Javion Martin, the quarterback from Crestwood, out of the two-point conversion to, convert, to preserve that win there. Uh, but absolute thrilling game. Uh, great collegiate. they're They're really good and that's the 3A team in Crestwood. That's a very good squad as well. Obviously both offensive played very well. Defenses got to do some work this week, uh, but an absolute thriller in the Midlands there.
4: Yeah, let's stay in the Midlands there. Brooklyn Casey welcomes Coach Shane Pedler to week one, and they did it 49 to nothing, and they took down airport. Man, I'm talking about clipping the wings of the Eagles. I mean, these these Bearcats were hungry, and it looked like that was on the menu, Uh Brooke and Casey, a team that we might need to kind of keep an eye open for? Most definitely, man. You know, BC had a lot of hype
5: last season uh, behind quarterback Tanner Staten. They played some difficult early non-region games and kind of, you know, dealt with some injuries. I know Tanner went out, you know, midway through the season, and they kind of just faded, you know, from from the picture. Uh, But this season they've made two, you know, statement wins. They rolled Harding out of North Carolina last week. Um, and then, you know, Airport, that is a, a pretty decent program. Coach Fidler there is one of the best coming up from the low country. Uh, they had a big win in their, their week zero kickoff. But uh, BC, man, the Bearcats just put it on them last night. Like you said, that's a team that we got to keep an eye on for sure.
4: Looking around, staying around the Midlands. Uh, we'll do that as uh, you got uh, Lexington-South Aiken. Uh, another pretty big game, but Lexington's a team. Lexington's a team, Jarrell, that I was talked about or talked to someone over the summertime, and they said, look, watch out for these guys. They're going to quietly make their way in, but they're going to make a lot of noise once they get in through the season. They went 59-27 at home. And, again, uh, the Wildcats look to uh, make a little bit of an impression in, com- in uh, some region play once they get there, but this was a big statement win to get into week one.
5: Yeah, man, the, the Wildcats are for real, you know, they – They've Like we talked about last week, they, they played well last season. They've got a new coach and Dustin Curtis. I mean, he is a, you know, state championship winning head coach when he was at AC Flora, comes there from Dorman, um, and then just keeps him going. I mean, they, they put up big numbers last night behind the quarterback, Tate Mines. Uh, the Wildcats are a solid football team. South Aiken, man, they've got two of the best players in the backfield, but that defense just continues to be a liability for them, you know, giving up big points. Um, But like you said, the Wildcats are a real contender, especially, and I'm sure we'll talk about Dutch Fork. They play in that region, Mm. you know. There might be some competition there this season, you know, for that region championship. We probably already penciled in that Dutch Fork would be the one, but the Wildcats might have something to say about that.
4: Well, since you just talked about Dutch Ford, how about this? Now, when is the last time? Now, Dutch Ford takes on Spartanburg. Spartanburg's no slouch. You know, there's no slouch. They're, they're a good team, respectful team. I've seen them firsthand just a few years ago, but they've always had uh, some dogs out there, some guys that can hunt, some guys that can do some things, some great quarterback plays, some receivers, running backs, TV's. They had enough last night, and boy, did they not. surprise the state, maybe, but definitely put some people on state on alert on the other side Tommy Knott's looking 0-2 in the eyes, and nobody saw this coming, I don't think. Man, that was one of these shocking results that, you
5: know, we saw when we were rolling through the scores last night. Uh, you know, both teams coming off of losses against quality opponents. Obviously, Dutch were playing, you know, um, Colquitt County out of Georgia, so no shame there. And then, uh, you know, Spartanburg falling to South Point at home in a close game. But, uh, you know, this is another one. It was back and forth, intern that was down there covering the game, giving us updates. Uh, That Dutch Fork offense just has nothing right now. It seems like they've got Jacob Mm -hmm. Hamilton, the senior receiver, and nothing else. We know they lost their quarterback in that first game, uh, turning to a sophomore, Ethan Offing, um, and just not able to get anything done. I mean, I don't know what was more shocking with you in this game, the fact that Dutch Fork lost, or the fact that Dutch Fork only scored six points, you know, with a top nine mm-hmm. offense. Uh, just an absolute shocker. They're 0-2. The Silver Foxes are in real trouble. And what a win, you know, for Spartanburg. You know, getting off the yeah. mat. Coach Hodges has bragged on his team all off-season. You know, that is quite the result for them. That's going to boost them for the rest of the season. Uh, going to be interesting to watch how these two teams progress going forward.
4: Now, this is another team I was talking to or talked with someone who called me individually and said, look, Rich, you need to keep your eyes on, uh, well, the boys of River Bluff, all right? The Gators. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're going to make noise early, and they have done just that. I believe they're 2-0 after a big win last night on the road, 56-7 against Swansea. Now, again, Swansea – a team that may not match up as well against River Bluff. But River Bluff, another one of those Midland teams, It seems to be uh, one of those years for the Midland teams because a lot of teams make a noise early.
5: Yeah, again, this is another team that's building off a successful season last year. They've been solid the last few years, uh, but I think they're, they're a legitimate team. Uh, they've got a, a pretty good young quarterback in Parker Murray as well. Uh, like you said, Swansea's probably not the best opponent uh, they've had a couple of easier opponents to start the season, but they've taken care of business. You can only, you know, do what, you know, handle what's on your schedule, and they've done that. Uh, we saw them play in person last year. Probably going to see them at some point this season. Uh, but they're a very good football team, and uh, I would expect them to to continue to play well as we progress.
4: Yeah, a couple other teams that I was impressed with their performance last night, Irmo. Now, Irmo's a team in the past. When I was growing up in the 90s, Irmo always was a team that was around. Uh, Somerville played these guys. It was always a heated conversation between these two teams. But last night, Irmo hosted Lancaster, of course, uh, out of Lancaster, South Carolina. 56-18. Again, Lancaster, not the team that I would say was probably hitting it all strides. However, Still got some ballers on the on the field and some guys that can make some plays, but Irmo seems to be a little bit too tough, too early, and put a lot of points on the board and got off to a good jump. Now, here Irmo wants to t- – again, another Columbia team that we could be talking about deeper into the season.
5: Again, I, we, I think we talked about this last week, Richie, man. Ermo is a very solid football team. Uh, they're led by quarterback, you know, A.J. Brand. He is a very, very talented player. I think he had six touchdowns in that game last night. Um uh, they're very, very solid in all phases of the game. Uh I think we'll, you know, continue to talk about them as they progress. Don't think Lancaster is gonna have the season that they want to have this year. Uh, but early on, Irmo is certainly
4: making some noise. Now Blythewood, Rixland Northeast, two final teams that we'll look at here in the state capital there in Columbia, 3518. Blythewood, the Bengals were able to pick up a win on the road. Great way for them to get in heading into week two and get the momentum going. On the other side, Richard Northeast, I've always related to these guys in the basketball school because they've always played great basketball. But if you got good basketball guys in the gym, that usually kind of equates to some pretty good jumpers on the football field. But maybe this year, maybe not. What's your thoughts on these two
6: teams?
5: Yeah, R&E, man, they just can't seem to figure it out. You know, they've always got some, some good talent there, but they just can't, you know, I won't say always. You know, recently they just haven't been able to put it all together. Uh, they've got some really talented players uh, in this particular, you know, this season. But Blythewood. um, uh, you know, good to see them get a bounce back victory after a hard-fought loss uh, in, in week zero. I keep getting that confused. Uh, the Bengals yes. are going to be a solid team. Uh, They should challenge for that reason championship there. Um, We'll see how good they are as they go. Got some very stud players. Got Edward Robinson on the defensive side, kind of a hybrid linebacker. Um, Had 20-plus sacks last season. And and then senior quarterback Harrison Collins, you know, we'll see what he does. Um, Obviously had a good game last night. Not really sure what to make of them at this point, but they should have a solid season. Had a lot of turmoil. That's the the biggest thing there. Had a coaching change in the offseason had some things go down, uh, so we'll see what they do. Don't expect much out of R&E this year. Just It is what it is, uh, but but we'll definitely keep an eye on Blackwood for sure.
4: Now, a team last week that did extremely well as we continue to work our way up towards uh, the upstate up there was a team that I bragged about in Burns. But, boy, were they shocked last night. A 5A, ranked two in the state, knocked down by a 3A, if I'm not mistaken, in the Chapman team, Chapman, excuse me, Your thoughts on this upset? Now, to me, this might have been the biggest upset of the night, even though we understand Spartanburg beating a Dutch 4 team. But, boy, did we see uh, uh, this team in 3A come in and knock down this big 5A team that's ranked second in the state out of Burns, who just won a big game, by the way, against Huff.
5: Uh, I think it definitely qualifies as the upset of the night last night. Um, Don't know Burns, man. We actually talked to the voice of the Rebels last night on our drive home. Uh, just could not, you know, get out of their own way. Just costly turnovers. Uh, just couldn't really get it going on the offensive side. They've got a stud freshman running back in Trace Uh, you know, but just could not make the plays that they need. Uh, but I think, honestly, when you look at it, Chapman, man, this just shows how good they are. Coach Cab and those guys, uh, you know, Rob Brown, you know, with the radio up here said they just continued to fight throughout that game and they made the plays when they needed to. Uh, Got a really stud running back at Chapman in Rashawn Cunningham. He's really good. And, you know, just they made the plays. I will say more than anything, this was a disappointing result for Burns. You know, maybe just Mm -hmm. reading the press clippings a little bit too much. I thought they were a bona fide top three team in 5A. I thought they would continue to prove that. And, you know, after a big win, like you said, over Huff last week, an absolute face plant. Uh, Coach Shaw and those guys are really going to have to go back to the drawing board. This is still a very talented Burns Rebels team, uh, but I guess just throw it in the pot. Another 3A team, you know, and Chapman had an impressive win last week over Woodruff. We'll see what they do going forward as well, uh, but not the result expected for the Burns Rebels.
4: Definitely not. How about the Westside Belton-Honey Path? Now, that was a game that many said was probably a game of the week in the upstate up there. Now, of course, they they thought it would be head-to-head, but it was all Belton-Honey Path, 43-28, they went at home against a very, very good Westside team. Now, I think a lot of people thought uh, that we're going to be able to put a few more points and keep a few points off the board, but uh, kind of a one-sided matchup here.
5: Hey, big-time performance for the Bears over the Rams. This is third straight victory, you know, in that, that rivalry there in Anderson County. Man, BHP, That that is a very good 3A team. We did learn, you know, after the game that Westside was without their best playmaker in Jamar Boston. Not sure if he's dealing with an injury or something there. Um, He did not dress and play, so I'm sure that affected the game plan uh, for the Rams. Uh, But BHP, man, they're going to lean on their stud running back, uh, Marquise Henderson. This is a name we'll talk about the next two years. He is an absolute stud, um, the junior there. I think the BHP Bears rushed for over 400 yards in this game. You know, just completely controlled it throughout I think you got within a you know a score at certain times in the second half, uh, but they were able to pull away. Henderson, huge game. I think he went over 200. Dealt with cramps, cramping up, still running for touchdowns. Uh, BHP putting them on, putting everybody on notice in 3A. That's going to be a, a state title contender for the Bears. And then West Side, you know, we thought you know with Coach Lane, maybe he could help with the defense. We know he's an offensive guy from his his background, uh, but they didn't really you know put up too many points either. That was their issue last year with the defense,
4: and it reared its head in in week one. How about week one? This could be an upset. I I didn't – I really looked at Coach Porter. I looked at Greenville as really, honestly, it was Coach Porter and Greenville and everybody else in 4A, but that wasn't the story last night. As they hit the road against Hannah, the Yellow Jackets stung them up and down the field, 28-17, an upset there, as you saw it, in Anderson, South Carolina, as uh, Greenville – has to kind of figure things out coming into a Saturday morning after week one.
5: Yeah. It's kind of difficult, you know, to call it an upset. You got a five A and a four, a matchup here, Um, you know, especially with the success that Hannah's had coach tone being one of the best. Uh, But we really, you know, and I I say we as moving the chains crew and a a lot of people on the outside thought this was, you know, Greenville's year. Like this was their opportunity where they potentially could go undefeated, make that state championship run And uh, they just did not get it done last night. And the biggest thing is the offense. You know, that's what we've continually heard about, how dynamic their offense is. And they got completely shut down in this game, only putting up 17 points. Um, So that causes a little bit of concern. You know, got to pump the brakes on the Red Raiders a little bit. But give all the credit to to Hannah. I don't know what it is about Hannah in these big games. You know, they're labeled sometimes as underdog. You don't expect them to do much. Like you said, they just come out come out of the grass and just sting you. Uh, Hannah, you know, they'll just continue to play good football, play solid, run in that wishbone, play good, good defense defensive special teams. Uh, but I don't know what to make of Greenville after this result, especially with the big win last week against Dormant.
4: Hanging out with the one and only Jarrell Hendricks with Moving the Chains as we go back through the Southern Sports Central Friday Night Scoreboard. We're in the upstate, and it is the uh, Boilers Springs, uh, the Bulldogs, the – of course, you remember Phil Petty's days of playing with Bonus Springs. Which he passed away uh, last, earlier this year, so a lot of heavy hearts in that area. But they went big, 55 to nothing. As they went on to Malden, South Carolina, they beat down the Mavericks. Uh, Bonus Springs, a team that I think some people are going to start highlighting and watching a little bit closer now.
5: Most definitely. We'll go back to week zero. You know, they played a tough game. I think it was an 11-point game last week. They fell to T.L. Hanna, that kind of raised some eyebrows. We're like, okay, maybe Bowling Springs is making some improvements. Then this week they come out and just smack the Mavericks. Like you said, 55 to nothing in that one. You know, spoiling the debut of of head coach Andre Cook there. Uh, Man, uh, Bowling Springs has really improved under second-year coach Matt Reel. I uh, know that name from, you know, him being down there in, in your area at North Myrtle Beach,
0: yeah, North Myrtle he's Beach. really
5: got the Bulls, yeah, really got them playing some good football in his second season. Uh, you know, we start looking at that region two and five A, that Spartanburg region there, you know, with Gaffney thrown in, they might be able to sneak in the playoffs. That's one of the most difficult regions in the high school league. Uh, this is a team, like you said, we're going to have to keep our eye on as they continue to progress. Uh, but that was quite the result, you know, getting that win. They moved to one and one. Um, I think they're they're going to be someone that we're going to be talking about pretty frequently.
4: Let's look at the Hillcrest game. Now, they have a new coach as well, if I'm not mistaken. He's a guy that, matter of fact, played yep. at Summerville, Coach Bennett Swaggart, former offensive coordinator for South Carolina State. Uh, the Bulldogs there, but now he's in the upstate. And, boy, they got a big win last night. And I'm going to tell you something. know the guy personally. Remember his days of running around the football field here in, in uh, Dorchester County and directly over at Somerville. Uh, this is a guy who played his football days at Newberry, but he's a great high school football coach sitting there at Hillcrest and is already making a lot of noise. Your thoughts on that game last night as Hillcrest picked up a big win?
5: Yeah, Hillcrest, man, you know, they just keep rolling. You know, they they are led by Avery McFadden, you know, one of the, the best, you know, do-it-all players um, on the offensive side and, and gets it done in special teams just a huge result for them. Coach Schweiger is going to have those guys, you know, upon the foundation that Coach Porter built, Coach Freight, you know, he's coming in, you know, what a coup. You know, we get a high school coach that was last year, the offensive coordinator at South Carolina State, his pedigree being from Somerville, knows how to win. Uh, the Rams are, are definitely a team that we follow closely, will continue to do so. Um, I think they're for real. They've, they've proven so in these first two weeks, putting up big numbers. Um, and they get after it on the defensive side of the ball as well. Uh, but that's an impressive result for them. And I uh, look forward to, to seeing what they do in the next couple of weeks.
4: Now, the other game, and well, we're going to go to the big A, Abbeysville, Powdersville. It was a battle of the veils here. <laughs> and, then, of course, Abbeville finds a way. Good teams do this. Uh, it was a lot closer than I thought it might be, even though I think Powdersville is a great ball team. But Abbeyville is kind of a team that, well, you just kind of always put your chips in their corner when you see them on the football field. What's your thoughts on a game like that? last night and of course another opportunity for those on the on the boards to say hey look we might have went close but we finished out with a dub
5: quite possibly the game of the night last night reggie uh i mean you had you know powdersville goes up early uh 27 to 3 in the in the first half of that game big a storms back this game finishes 35 34 uh with a two-point conversion uh in overtime nonetheless uh, just what adjustments from Coach, Coach Nichols there. This is two weeks in a row, the Patriots, you know, Patriots played in the 3A state championship game last year, but what a result from the 2A defending state champions to, to mm-hmm. come back. This game's being played on the road up in Powdersville uh, to beat the Patriots. Uh, Big A, they had an easy one week one, kind of just rolled over McCormick. I think that one was 65-12. to uh, They win it in a completely different way this time. I don't know. We talked about it again last week. What's in the water in Abbeville? They just continue to roll studs out. Um, Demarcus Leach, you know, I think he's sophomore. The sophomore safety there had two critical second half interceptions. Uh, they just execute. Shows how good they are. And then on the other side, Powdersville behind Coach Muster. Two weeks in a row, they've lost by a point both weeks, you know, 0-2. Two total points. You know, how do they respond? They lost their stud running back, Thomas Williams, who's now at Virginia Tech from last season. How does this team respond uh, going forward? It's going to be interesting to watch, but a Big A, man, they just keep getting
4: it done. Now, a team that got it done last night, and they had to be smiling once they saw the scoreboard of Dutch Fork losing in Spartanburg. I think the only time gaffney would pull for spartanburg would have been in that manner uh gaffney wins big boy do they win big there they beat union county in south sixty three seventeen, not even close uh but i can promise you they're smiling on a many levels uh, this morning waking up over there in gaffney south carolina and of course uh the indians finding a way to get a w and keep the momentum heading into week two
5: feel good game get right game for the indians you know they they fell in a close one to crest last week. Um, just rolled Union county, I think it finished sixty three to seven uh pick your score type of game here uh for the Indians. Don't know what's going on, Union county, man, that used to be one of the premier programs in the state, and they've just completely fallen on hard times. Uh, but good for the Indians to, to get that dub. Like you said, I, I know they were they were they were excited about Dutch Fork falling. I still don't know if they were pulling for Spartanburg. They're probably pulling for a tie <laughs> or both teams losing, if I had to guess. Knowing Kaffney fans, uh, but good for them, you know, to get it going. They just completely rolled Union County. Don't know what's happening down there, but uh, we know the Indians will, will get right, and they'll be a factor well into to you know November, October, late in the season.
4: Hanging it up here and hanging out with the one and only Jerrell Hendricks with Moving the Chains. We're going to head just a little bit west or the eastern side of the upstate. It's kind of a weird way our state's divided here. But let's go over to Northwestern, to that Rock Hill area. And they did take a tough one and, and almost uh, came back in and won that big game there in Panther Stadium as they played a very good Providence Day team but fell a little short. But they took it out on Clover last night, 56-12. They're dancing again over in Rock Hill over at North. Western uh, on the campus with the Trojans. Uh, your thoughts on a, a, a great way to come back and bounce back from a tough loss?
5: Spoiling, you know, the debut of Coach Perry Woolbright. They're a clover, man. That's a tough one. They take it on the chin. Uh, but Northwestern, I expected them to win this game and win it easily. I did not expect this explosion. Uh, but that Northwestern team is stacked. I think, I think they're the best team in 4A at this point, even though they lost last week. Um, I think the Trojans are, are a legitimate team. Coach Wofford is as good as anybody that we have here in South Carolina. Um, not surprised by the, the end result, but definitely surprised by the margin of victory for sure. Uh, but the Trojans get it done. What to make of Clover, I'm not sure. We'll see how they progress because it, it, it gets tougher for them as well. Uh, but Northwestern, man, they they are a very, very good football team. Like you mentioned, they should have you know, probably won that game against Providence Day last year, uh, especially as how poorly they, they executed in the red zone um, up there at, at Banks of America Stadium. Uh, but Northwestern's legit. They're a very good football team, and I'm very interested to see what they do next week.
4: Staying in Rock Hill, of course, uh, Football USA, as they call it, around the state of South Carolina. As you yeah. look at South Point, now they have won with Devontae in a state championship. And last night, they looked like a state championship team in certain fashions. From some of the film I saw this morning, they went 35-13 against cross uh, crosstown, I guess, rival Rock Hill. Uh, again, not a big spread, but enough spread for South Point to build on ahead into week two.
5: Yeah, for sure, man. The Stallions get it done again, and, and that's, you know – a testament to Coach Collins and their staff. They have a big emotional win on the road against Spartanburg last week in a, in a hard-fought game. Come back this week against a rival and handle business. Like you said, not the biggest margin of victory, uh, but very comfortable. I think it was, what, 35-13, 35-12 in that ballpark. Um, get the job done, man. The Stallions have talent all over the field. Not sure what's going on with Rock Hill. They they just they just haven't been able to get over the hump the last few years. Obviously, they've been affected by the growth and all the new schools that have popped up there the last couple of decades. Uh, but the Stallions are a very, very good football team and, uh, you know, will continue to, to do good things. They're in that region with Northwestern. It's going to be a dogfight between those those schools.
4: Should be interesting. We go over to Fort Mill. South Carolina. Nations for the Falcons hosting York. A thirty to fourteen loss for them. York comes in town and kind of ruins their parade in week one. York kind of team we talk a lot about, man. Is this a team that we could start to talk a little bit more about as we get deeper into the season?
5: I think York is a, a quality team. Um, again, they play in that difficult region there in four A with Northwestern, South Point, Catawba. So I mean, it's going to be a battle, you know, just to get in the playoff. They'll probably be. You know, looking at a four seed, so I don't think we're talking about state championship caliber. We're talking about maybe their ceiling being in the second or third round of the playoffs. Uh, but a very solid team. You know, Coach Boyd does a great job there. You know, they have a great, you know, experienced quarterback and Aiden Davis, uh, Debo Hall back there, Roman, as a safety. Um, you know, able to get that job done last night. I think they pulled away late, a couple late scores, because it, it got down to about 17-14, I want to say, early in the fourth. Uh, but able to get it done. York's a solid team. I don't think that they're going to be in the upper you know, echelon you know, of teams that we start talking about, you know, championship contenders. But a very solid team, they should have a good season.
4: Definitely should have a good season. We look at Fort Mill and Chester before we leave this region of the state of South Carolina, 38-24 Chester. The Cyclones able to pick up a big win. Fort Mill, again, they're in that, that area where there's just so much talent. And, and I don't know whether there's some transfer things happening. But Fort Mill, I'm not able to capitalize on a few things. I believe they were in the red zone a couple of times last night. Just couldn't get it done. Your thoughts on a very impressive win for Chester and Fort Mill, who looks to have a few question marks heading into week two.
5: Yeah, I, I think the Cyclones are, are just that good. And I, I think, you know, as opposed to the last match that we talked about, I think the Cyclones are a team we'll be talking about um, in 3A that is going to be a championship contending team. Um, they showed it, you know. Uh, there were some, some chances there for Fort Mill late in the game. Just weren't able to get it done. Uh, but the Cyclones took care of business. Uh, I think Chester's very good. Uh, they're potentially one of the, the teams that we'll be looking at playing next week, you know, traveling to their game. Um, I think they're an extremely good ball club. And uh, that's an impressive victory. I think they won that game by two touchdowns.
4: No doubt there. Now you look at, of course, in the Florence area before we get you out of here. I want to kind of look at this one. South Florence defending. 4A state champ, right, taking on the runner-up in 2A, and that is Oceanside, uh, 28-6, all South Florence. It was held down here in Charleston. Uh, your thoughts on the South Florence? Again, they had to move around some guys, had to bring in a few guys, had some things happening, but they got it done last night, and that's a good quality win. Even though it's a 4A versus a 2A, still a big win because a very, very, uh, I would say impressive-looking team out of Oceanside, but a very improved team and very interesting team to watch into South Florence as they head into week number two.
5: Yeah, the Bruins, you know, they're dealing with life after Lenoris at this point, you know, <laughs> rotating quarterbacks, um, but they, they're they going to lean on that defense, and, and you saw that last night, you know, holding that Oceanside offense to six points, I think it was. Um, just an impressive showing for them, you know, it's going to be, they're going to use these games early on to, to kind of get right, get their legs from under them, and, and you know, try to make a run before they go into region play, Um, but an impressive victory. This was a one-point game last year that really put, I would say, both teams on the map, so to speak, um, in their runs, you know, down to Columbia. um, Oceanside just, you know, had a big win last week against Louisville. Obviously couldn't get it done on the offensive side because that that Bruins defense, man, they've got talent on all three levels. Um, One of the best defenses probably in the state. Um, they will lean on those guys as, as they figure out things on the offensive side. Uh, but a, a very good victory, you know, going into to Charleston to win that game um, shows that, they, you know, they're ready for the prime time. And I think the Bruins are a legitimate contender. Uh, very good football team and excited to see what they do. And it's no slight on Oceanside, man. That's, that's a good team in South Lawrence. I think Oceanside is going to be just fine for the rest of the season.
4: And what a way to challenge your guys. they are 2A going on against a 4A, and a 4A powerhouse that I know very well back in our days, they were in the same uh, classification as my 60 Braves. So, I you know a lot of talent came out of that area. The other side of Florence is West Florence. They went big, 28 to nothing against a Lake City team who is still probably reeling from some things. Of course, as you guys may or may not know, their head football coach was in a very serious bus accident or during the summertime. He's still... Uh, in the healing process, there we continue to pray for them and their families and the entire Lake City community. Uh, but to go into West Lawrence and pick up a win would be almost the hardest thing to do because, again, while West Lawrence flies under the radar, they understand the job at hand and they win big, twenty-eight nothing.
5: Yeah, I, I echo all those sentiments. You know, prayers to that that community there and coach. Hope he's hopes he's doing well there. Uh, you know, but Lake City, you know, just took one on on the chin here against West Lawrence. West Lawrence is a solid football team. You know, Coach Generette um, is is one of the the better coaches that we have here in the state. Uh, They they had a hard loss last week against Lexington. I think they dropped that game by 10 points. uh, But we're able to bounce back here, feel better about themselves, um, you know, getting it righted because, again, in 4A, they play in one of the most difficult regions there. You know about it. You know, they play in that Grand Strand PD region of 4A football there. Mm. And uh, it does not get any easier as they get in the region play. Uh, But good to see West Lawrence pick up the victory Friday night.
4: And a team that we may try to get into before I get you out of here would be Hartsfield. I think Hartsfield, by the way, a 4A team as well that is very good this year. Very, very, very good this year. I know we talk about some of the other teams in the upstate. That could be a, a, uh, a collision course between the two teams from the upstate to the lower state. Now, I want to give Coach O some love here. I worked with Coach O last year at Oceanside. He was a defensive coordinator. I had a chance to be uh, one of the linebackers coaches over there at Oceanside with Casey Crosby, who's now coaching outside of the state in the state of Georgia. But meanwhile, well, the coach uh, O that played football at the University of South Carolina, grew up his days in Florida, is now the head football coach at Lakewood with the Gators. They took a tough one last week, but you kind of thought they would. I think they played Sumter, by the way, but they bounced back on the road against Fox Creek, a 20 to three victory there. And uh, Coach O gets his first dub of uh, his high school Coaching here in the uh, state of South Carolina.
5: Yeah, much congrats to Coach O there, man. Love to see him pick up his first win. And I know that's been difficult because he got hired really late in the cycle. Um, I don't, I think he got hired at some point during the summer. I don't even know if he got to go through spring ball with his team. Uh, so, yeah, that's a difficult first opponent. <laughs> Welcome to the show. You get to play Sumter. Uh, <laughs> but able to get that win against against Fox Creek, really excited for him. Not sure how his his team's gonna do this season. Uh, they 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 got some difficult the squads on the on the schedule. But uh, you know you gotta celebrate. You celebrate your victories. You know, take it in. It's good for those kids. Good for that community and his program. Um, take it in this weekend. Go back to work tomorrow Monday and uh, try to go get another one. But congrats to
4: him and congrats to Lakewood. And one of the final things as we do, again, once again, I want to thank you very much as we're hanging out with Jarrell Hendricks with Moving the Chains, does a phenomenal job. Him and his guys travel across the state week after week, Friday night after Friday night, hit a game of the week, which we're going to ask him one final question on game of the week that they were at last night. But before we get there, boy, a word that came out last night, hadn't heard it in a while, but it affected not one but two teams, if I'm not mistaken, and that is COVID, man, already. Here we go. Uh, two teams, four teams, affected by it last night as uh, there was a few games suspended. Orangeburg-Wilkes uh, wilkeson I think, was one at Spring Valley uh, was the other one, man. Is this something that you think we're going to start to kind of see a little bit more week after week? And, man, this could be a huge deal uh, heading into as we get into region play. Richie, man, I got, I got my legs
5: crossed, my toes crossed, my fingers crossed, <laughs> like just everything. I, I really hope uh, we don't have to go through that again. You know, obviously it's all about the safety of the kids, you know, the spectators and everyone involved. uh, But just hate that the the games aren't being able to play. These guys work so hard each week. You know, I don't know. If you've ever coached football, played football, there's so much work that goes into those three hours on on Friday night. And, uh, you know, just hate it for those guys, um, especially early in the year. Hate it for, you know, older players, especially like your seniors, you know, the ones who are not going to go to the next level. You know, they put so much into these these contests and, you know, having to deal with, you know, medical issues and and COVID and stuff like that. I hope it's not something that creeps up. It's really scary to see. We didn't have too much of it last season, um, you know, after the the, the previous two, three years. um, But... I don't know, Richie. I'm just praying, man. I really, really hope we don't have to deal with this again. And uh, hopefully it's kind of like a one-off situation. Uh, but I hope those kids recover. I hope everything works out and they're able to to suit up this coming Friday.
4: Well, the final thing that this young man does, everywhere he goes, he has to let you know, what is the favorite thing to eat? So last night, my man heads to Sumter for the Gamecocks. And, by the way, I have called a game against the Sumter Gamecocks as a, a guy on the other side of the field. And they do an incredible job of feeding those who, of course, uh, are in the – I don't know about you guys, but our our booths had – I mean, it was almost like going to a southern kitchen there, man. There was so much soul food on the plate that I couldn't stand any more food to be in the booth. I almost fell asleep doing the broadcast. Last night, did you hit that, or did you go over to the Course section stand and tell us a little bit about what's to eat at Sumter while you're watching the Gamecocks play on a Friday night? I am a man of the
5: people, you know, so I'm a commoner, you know, typically gonna di- typically gonna dip into a, to a hot dog, burger, something like that. Maybe they got a barbecue sandwich like that. Uh went with the hot dog last night. That's usually my staple. Probably have a review coming up. One of the best hot dogs I have had in a stadium though, Richie. They do it right there. Uh, you know, great concessions, great people. We almost dipped in, you know, we were running close on time, you know, for kickoff. They had $7, you know, fried whiting plates. I know those were fantastic. We tried to circle back and get one. They were sold out before halftime. That's how good the food Mm. is. Um, You have not caught a game down there at Sumter. One of the best environments. I mean, the stadium was packed, first class, um, you know, just a a very, very welcoming crowd and environment, you know, for someone like me who's neutral, probably not for opposing fans. uh, But we had a great time. Gamecocks had a big win. Everyone left happy except for Ridgeview and the Blazers. Uh, but uh, just a fantastic first class. Would definitely recommend. And uh, maybe going back, you never know. Could be a big-time playoff matchup. Should be, Could be going back this season.
4: Yeah, and I think, you know, you, you look at Sumter, man, and they're a team that's always around. They're a 5A team. Back in the day, they were a Sweet 16 team when they did the 4As, the Uppers, the Lowers there. Uh, when – You kind of look at this stadium. What was the one thing that kind of stuck out to you? I'm going to give you my thoughts on this stadium. But uh, you go to stadiums every week, Darrell, but what was the one thing about this stadium that you really honestly you're like, okay, this is kind of separate, kind of different. This is something that I'll remember when I leave. Honestly, you know, it's it's
5: not an on-campus stadium. Um, I'm a big convenience guy. You know, just the ease of parking, um, the friendliness of, you know, people who were working, crowd, gates, concession, things like that welcoming environment um, that really stood out to me just a first class you know facilities just taken care of everything was pristine looked great uh that really stood out but honestly if i have to go number one of all things real grass man that's what i love to see a real grass <laughs> field i know these turfs are easy for the athletic departments to maintain uh but getting on that
4: grass for the first time um, i love those old school fields so uh just well done on all levels Yeah, see, that's the one thing. Everybody asks me, man, what's the one thing uh, that you look when you go? And I said, man, when you can go on the field and there's a problem because the grass is too wet or there's just one of those things that makes it different, it's always the grass. The turf looks good, man. To me, turf is like looking at a painting. It sure is pretty, right? But it doesn't have the same effect. You can actually feel the air differently when it's in there, man. I do appreciate you, brother. Real quick, man, what's coming up? I think Sunday you guys do a show as well. Uh, You guys are doing a great job with your graphics. I see you guys very active on social media. So give you guys a chance uh, for the listeners to, how do they find you? How do they follow you? And uh, what's going on and coming up with you guys over at Moving the Chains, brother?
5: All socials, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, threads. uh, We're at Moving Chains. That's Moving Chains, no G. Find us on our website, www.movingchains.com. We post all of our links there. We do everything our podcast um, is done on Apple, Google, Spotify. You can find our podcast there. Uh, we do an audio-only recap show. Me and Kevin do that Sundays. Usually comes out Sunday night, Monday morning, so you can listen to it anytime during the week. We do a preview show. That's Kevin and John. They go on Facebook Live, YouTube Live um, on Tuesdays, usually between seven and eight. We send notifications for that. We're coming. We do a pick'em contest every week. Um, so get in there games of the week, players of the week. Uh, we just try to get out as much quality content as possible uh, for fans of South Carolina high school football. Check us out. We appreciate each and every one of you. We appreciate you too, Richie, for
4: having us on and, and constantly, you know, working with us.
6: Hey, man, that's what
4: it's about, man. It's a one big house party, man. We're just glad to be a part of it. Glad to have you guys out and about, brother. And until next time. Stay safe. Enjoy it, man. Thanks for what you guys, by the way. How was last night? How was spaces last night? Did y'all get a chance to go through the school board and do everything? I didn't have a chance to join you last night. Yeah, we
5: missed you last night. We were able to to get in there and and go through most of the scores. Had some technical issues, you know, driving those back roads, you know, from Sumter, but we were able to get it fired up late start on a lot of these games due to the heat. Um, so we cranked it up a little bit later than normal, but we'll be running that back next Friday. So jump in there if you can. Uh, we had some good participation. Um, a lot of schools, you know, talking about the, you know, recapping the games they were at, had some, you know, radio personalities, a couple coaches, co- coaches in there. So uh, be sure to check us out. It's like a scoreboard show where you don't have to change the radio dial.
4: You got it, buddy. We're looking forward to it. Until next time, stay safe, stay hydrated. Today may be the hottest day of the year in the state of South Carolina, man. So find a cool spot and hang until uh, it cools down, buddy. Thanks again, and I appreciate everything that you do for us here on Southern Sports Central, buddy. No problem, man. We'll catch up with you soon. All right, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Always greatly appreciated, Duran Hendricks. He covered the entire state for us. Now, we did leave a little pocket down here in the low country where, of course, Kevin Bilodeau is going to join us at 11 o'clock here in just a few minutes. He, of course, is the man with a plan from Live 5 Sports He was out and about last night and, of course, got some updates on the team that traveled to the Grand Strand, that Somerville number one team in 5A football as they went up and played the Panthers last night. But a quick break, a little reset, hour two right after this. You're listening to Southern Sports Central right here on southernsportscentral.com.
7: There is nothing more intoxicating than the meld of emotions and sensations that is Friday night. Friday night is the sound of that crowd, the pride of that community, the way that that grass smells. I've never felt in my adult life the way that I felt on Friday nights. That's what those kids are playing for. They're playing for that emotion. They're playing for that brotherhood and all of that sensory input that comes from Friday night. That's why they're playing high school football in this country. It is this common thread that weaves through the American fabric. Whether you live in Compton, California, or you live in Appalachia, if you played the game at the high school level, you have this common bond of representing that community. Anyone who disparages where the game is based on myriad reasons, I'm not buying it. I'm around the game every day on these campuses. I see the impact it has on these young men. I see the way that these coaches are able to grow high school boys into NFL or professional men, and it's just beautiful.
1: Welcome to Southern Sports Central your source for all things sports with your host richie altman richie altman and eugene bitten taking your calls at 323-784-9681 now let's join richie in the studio
4: Welcome back, everybody. Hour one is done, but it's now time for hour two. I'm Richie Alban, your host of Southern Sports Central, coming to you from the Palmetto State of South Carolina. Always good to be here with you on a Saturday morning. It's going to be a beautiful one, but a hot one. If you're uh, out and about, please carry you some water because it's going to be a scorcher. But let's start off hour two with the best in the biz. That's Kevin Bilodeau from Live 5 Sports. Kev, welcome back, buddy. Glad to have you with us.
6: What's up, guys? How was your Friday night? Oh, my God. It was uh,
4: kind of an interesting Friday night, but a busy one. I don't think it was as busy as yours. Uh, but, uh, man, uh, another week done. Uh, we head into week two. Let me get that right. Yeah, week two next week. as <laughs> We actually head into yep. the third week of high school football, but we'll call it what they want
6: us to, and that is week two, buddy. How about <laughs> you guys? Oh, it was it was a crazy night. A lot of, you know, not just a lot of stuff on the football field, a lot of stuff off the field that – Unfortunately, affected some stuff on the field, but you know we we got everything done that we could and it was it was a big night a lot of a lot of good wins for team last night,
4: yeah no doubt let's start off with some tough news uh, our hearts and thoughts and prayers uh of course with Bishop England, they were scheduled to play first bad just last night and another uh religious war, if you will there right I mean that would be another one for Bishop yeah. England, but they had some things unfortunately uh with a student I believe that was uh, found there not responding in a car on. Fortunately, uh, pronounced, passed on uh, moments after that at the hospital. They did the right thing. They canceled the game. It's just a game, uh, and, and that's a very serious situation. So we'll pray for the students, the faculty, the members, the families uh, involved, just everybody who was affected by this. But, again, uh, not the way we wanted to see 4 o'clock hit our phones yesterday.
6: No, and, and just to correct you, it, it actually wasn't a student. It was a, it was a young child. Uh, that they oh, found wow. unresponsive and it was a uh it was the child of of a faculty member at the school and uh mm. she had just uh forgotten to to take the child to, to daycare and uh that i know some of the it was some of the students who who found the situation and had to call 911 so definitely not what we were hoping for to to start the day and just uh, like you said thoughts and prayers with with everyone over there that's a tough one here. Kevin. I appreciate you correcting me there because reading some of the
4: different headlines, I wasn't 100% sure. And, and when I saw that, I, I thought, well, maybe that's a misprint because it's a young child. But now, I, I, unfortunately, I can understand. I don't want to say it makes sense, but I definitely can understand there the situation. But we do continue to pray for those in and around that community and the families involved. Now, we do head in uh, that action happened on Thursday night. Well, Branch, North Charleston, North Charleston. <clears throat> Uh, you know, a team that continues to try to find some identity and then didn't have any help on Thursday night. It was all well-branched all night long, 46-6, to as they won that Thursday night matchup. Uh, Kev, your thoughts on a well-branched team? Of course, that's the southern part of the Low Country. They fall out down there, but they definitely pulled out up here on
6: Thursday night, man. They do, and, and that team's just on a different level. You know, even though they're a 1A squad and North Charleston was a 3A team, North Charleston just... Could not hang. Whale Branch was running the ball all over the place, especially in the first half. Uh, they had a running back. I believe his name is is uh, Dyer Polite, who was just putting up huge numbers and running through guys, running around guys. And uh, he was he was tough for North Charleston to bring down. And, and Whale Branch looks like a, a real contender in one A. Now, a team that hit the road last night, and uh,
4: we're going to get right to the conversation, and that is uh, Somerville. They went up on the Grand Strand, played a team that they seem to kind of play every year. It feels like when I was there, uh, you know, calling the games on ESPN Radio for for Somerville, we always played Carolina Force and they did it again last night. They went up there, and uh, it was a tough one at first. And, I guess Somerville was able to kind of pull away there towards the end, but the number one team in 5A picks up a win on the road, and anytime you went on the road or any you went on a Friday night, the big night, uh, but of course, uh, Ian Rafferty, they're going to come back with a one zero record. Get ready to play Berkeley next week at home. But last night, uh, kind of a closer game than I thought it would be.
6: Yeah, I mean, you know, for Somerville, first game of the season, you know, they're starting kind of a week later than everyone else. So I, I, I wasn't surprised that things started off a little bit slow for them. You know, it, even though they played in a jamboree last week, it can take a, it can take a, you know, a quarter or two to kind of find your rhythm, especially early on in the season, but. Once they did, you know, they, they have such a, a potent offense right now. Their, their running attack is really good. They've got really solid receivers, and they brought in a quarterback, uh, Jaden Cummings, over from Hanahan last year where he was a young start. He started for the Hawks as a sophomore. Now he transferred over. and Now he's starting as a junior for Somerville. So that offense is, is going to be really tough for anyone to stop, and if they can find a groove like they started to last night, they're going to be tough for, for anyone to beat. Yeah, they went big 33-26,
4: and I say big because it's on the road.
6: Anytime you go on the road and you
4: can beat another 5A team, you did it in style. They drove, by the way. I saw their buses uh, heading out of town, and, boy, they looked – they were ready to travel like the nature boy themselves, man, high styling and profiling as they went on the road. (laughs) Get ready next week. We're actually going to be there. They'll be playing uh, a team. One of the oldest rivalries, not only in the Low country but in the state is they'll be taking on a very – well, we'll see how good – uh, Berkeley and some of the large. They'll be squaring up and uh, renewing some uh, old rivalries there. Now, Fort Dorchester, they got a new coach. He started his debut last night after giving the showdown a little conversation, but he wins against a team that uh, was a, what, 3A state champion last year in Buford. Yeah. And uh, they're able to win 34-17. Of course, uh, that's a big game winning that one on the road as
6: well. Yeah, and, and you know it, it's like we were saying last week too. Any any win is a win, and it's a big deal to get a win at this at you know any level really. But to go on the road, beat a team that was a state champion last year when you're starting off a new era with a new head coach, and there's a lot of uncertainty on how this program is is going to continue to to evolve now that Steve LaPrez is not there. But to open the season with a win on the road against the state champion, that's that's a good start. It's a good way to get things going. No doubt. Now, Laverne, by the
4: way, was a coach under. Uh, Coach Le Pratt over Fort Dorchester. So he knows the Patriots very well. And, uh, unfortunately, he starts off 0-2. I believe last week he was taken down by Kane Bay. This week it's the Patriots of Fort Dorchester. Now, we stay in this region as we should, and it is a big win. West Ashley, 31-7. May River, another team. Again, it seems like uh, the upper part of the low country, taking on the lower part of the low country, and it's all upper part. Uh, last night they win, uh, and I believe improved to what now, 2-0, and winning
6: 31-7. And uh, you see coach
4: uh, over there at West Ashley kind of starting off like he did last year.
6: Yeah. And, and that's something that they've done well the last couple of years with Donnie Kiefer as the head coach is, is getting off to good starts. And, you know, when, when you have a tough region to play in like West Ashley does, it's it's important to go out early and, and get some victories and, you know, kind of build some confidence for these, for these guys and, and let them see what they have on the horizon. And they've got a big game next week. Uh, they're back at home hosting Kane Bay. Uh, a Cane Bay team that, you know, like you said, they opened up the season with a win over Beaufort last week, and they suffered a loss last night against Ashley Ridge. So things are kind of lining up for West Ashley where they can they can start off 3-0 and as they get ready to go into that region play later in the season.
4: Good segue there. Ashley Ridge, 33-12. Now, there was a couple headlines. Number one, Coach Tate makes his debut down in the Lowcountry after leaving Wren and winning the state championship a few years ago. But not only do they open it, they opened it in Somerville at the high school field, Coach McTistick field, there if you will. Uh, that was kind of an interesting deal because they got that new turf not done yet. Uh, so they said, "Well, yeah. we can play over here by the uh, by the I guess the district office." Now that had to be kind of weird in itself, but I'm sure they don't mind. They they picked up a win and uh, go one and zero to start the uh, the conversation, and he's throwing the ball around something a little different.
6: Yeah, I actually talked to Coach Kate yesterday afternoon because we were. We were, you know, making out our our runs for photographers to go out to games, and uh, I was double checking that the game was at McKissick Field because I was like, well, that can't be right. They they just got new turf. Why would they be playing somewhere else? So I I called Coach Tate, and he was like, yeah, no, the turf's not ready, so so we're going over to McKissick tonight. And uh, you know, he was very excited for for his first game as the head coach at Rage, but I could also tell he wasn't too thrilled that it wasn't on their home field, but. I'm sure picking up a win against Cane Bay, their rivals, that, that kind of softened the blow a little bit. And he was hopeful they'd be able to play at their home field in a couple of weeks when they take on Collin County. But, you know, for Ashley Ridge, that was a big deal. Because, like I said, these two schools, they've been rivals since they both opened the same year back in 2008. They played every year since then. Sometimes they played twice a year, especially early on. And uh, the first several years of that rivalry, it was really back and forth. The teams would trade wins back and forth. And it was like that until about five or six years ago when Kane Bay just went on this big run where they were winning every game against Ashley Ridge, including in the playoffs the last two seasons. Uh both both in twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two. Uh Kane Bay knocked Ashley Ridge out of the postseason in the first round. So for them to come out in their season opener and beat Kane Bay, that's a big deal for Ashley Ridge. Big deal. Now when I heard this news, Kev, I don't know if you remember
4: our days in Columbia when they filmed this movie called The Program and they took the scoreboard and they had these little banners that came down and covered up the, the Gamecock liver room and they had all that deal I was thinking to myself, There's no way in the world Somerville's gonna let that happen with Ashley Rich. But it had to be an interesting deal to run into the end zone with that, 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 that uh Somerville Green in the end zone and of course the fans are sitting in those seats but uh They'll come out with a dub either way as we uh, look at another team that picked up a very impressive win. Lucy Beckham, watch out, 43 to nothing against Wando. And there was so many headlines in this one, Kevin. But Lucy Beckham's another team here in the low country that I think we're going to continue to talk more about on many levels. And this team, what, next year could be looking at a whole new classification.
6: Yeah, and, and that's exactly what you said at the end. That's important because this this team is – you know, in Mount Pleasant right next to Wando, they're going to keep growing because people are going to keep moving into Mount Pleasant. I don't know how they're going to afford to move into Mount Pleasant because it's really expensive, <laughs> but people are going to keep doing it because they're going they want to move over there. But the school system is really good. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if in maybe not the next cycle, but certainly the cycle after if Beckham moves up to a five, a squad and that that's going to put them right in a region with Wando and they're setting the tone. You know, last year, they, they kind of snuck out a win over Wando in the first meeting between the two schools. I think it was eight to six last year. And this year they left no doubt. Like I said, 43 to nothing. They're showing, they are the team that, that runs Mount Pleasant right now. They're definitely doing it,
4: did it in big style yesterday or last night. Now here's the game. Berkeley, Hanahan, two new head coaches. Both of these coaches are from outside the state. Hanahan brings in a coach from Georgia. Berkeley brings in a coach from Florida. Both teams looking to improve their records, and it was all Berkeley with a squeeze-out win, 34-33. Boy, what a game that had to be last night over,
6: I guess, over in Hanahan. Yeah, no, they were actually in Berkeley last night. So they, they played in Hanahan last year, and Hanahan uh, upset Berkeley. That, that was a big deal for the Hawks to get that win. Um, so for Berkeley to come back and hold on, I'm sure that was important to them. And Eric Lodge starts off 2-0, and and now he gets ready to – to face off against Somerville next week, and what will be a, a huge game, one of the games of the week in the, in the entire state, I'm sure. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure he would have liked to have won by a little bit more, maybe have his defense not give up 33 points. But is a good team, you know, especially on the run game. We talked last week about Kevon Rivera, had huge numbers last week. He rushed for over 300 yards and six touchdowns. He was our live five player of the week for last week. So, you know, he's going to get his yards no matter who he's going up against doesn't matter. So for Berkeley to to find a way to stop them and, and pick up a win at home and move to 2-0, I'm sure that's that's all they can ask for. Another team that picked up a big win, and uh, again, I've
4: read that it stopped at halftime. I don't know. I think that might have been you game of the week. I did see you uh, film some stuff on uh, James Island last night, but they went big. After Stahl breaks a, 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 you know, a, a long streak of wins, boy, does uh, back to reality they go because it, it's all... Uh, Coach McCoy and the boys of uh, James Allen, they went a big 51 to nothing last night. Tough loss for uh, Stahl, but a big win and another
6: uh, W for uh, the boys over there. And the Trojans going now 2-0. Yeah, and Jamar McCoy's really got this team, you know, running on all cylinders early on. They were running the ball last night. They were going through the air as well. So they are—they appear to be a well-oiled machine early on in this season. And it's really setting up for what could be fun – Later on down the line, you see that Beckham James Island game that that'll be a region game at some point, and so that that could be fun early on. You know, I'd like to see more from Beckham, you know, over the course of the next few weeks and really see what they're made of. But that's set enough to be a good one later on this season. Should be a good one as well as
4: we look around at Oceanside. Now, Oceanside hosted uh, – and this is an interesting one for me as well. They play at the Citadel. I'm, I'm familiar with it. Uh, they hosted the 4A State Champs, South Florence. Uh, they come in here. And, of course, runners-up in 2A is the Oceanside guys. The Oceanside didn't have enough uh, for what South Florence brought to the table this year. It was a very close game last year. This year, uh, not as close, but still a good ball game over there. But Oceanside Falls, just a little short, not enough time on the clock left as they uh, dropped the first loss of the season.
6: Yeah, and for, you know, for Oceanside, I mean, this is a tough pass. South Florence, like you said, they're, you know, the 4-8 state champs, but they're generally considered one of the best programs in the entire state at any level. And for Oceanside, that was the only game they lost last season going into the state title game was that close loss at home to South Florence. And, you know, Oceanside showed they can they can hang around with teams like this, and you know they have a puncher's chance. And they didn't have quite enough to to pull things off last night, but they're showing everyone else that you know when it gets time to play in two way, they're still going to be a team to be reckoned with.
4: How about this team? Phillips Simmons goes on the road. They also went to the beach, if I'm not mistaken. They played at St. James up there in Merle's Inlet, forty-one thirty. Phillips Simmons picks up a nice win on the road. Uh, again, building that confidence, getting ready to head into region play just a few weeks away, I'm sure. Uh, what's your thoughts on uh, Philip Simmons? It's another team in Mount Pleasant. We've got four of them now uh, that we uh, get to talk about. Phillip Simmons, another team that constantly finds a way to make conversation and
3: headlines.
6: Yeah, and Eric Bendig's done an amazing job with this program over the last few years to really start them from scratch and now make them a team that's really – you know, moving up in, in the 3A ranks, and they're putting up to get some good games. They got down early last night to St. James and, you know, didn't panic on the road. These guys, even though it's still a new school, this is a, a fairly veteran team at this point. So for them to go on the road, get down early, and be able to make a comeback and come back home with a win and 2-0 and getting ready for their next game, Phillip Simmons, uh, as I'm looking at my schedule right here, they should be in action. Next week they go back down to – uh to play Georgetown. So, you know, mm. uh, the opportunity is there for them to go three and out
4: Georgetown loses to uh, Andrews, the yellow jacket, Thing, the Bulldogs starting one 27. Uh, if you're trying to follow up on that one, how about this one? The battle, <laughs> the the magnet bowl, if you will there, Kevin, academic magnet, 14 military magnet. Well, that one, uh, one of those games, man, it had to possibly be a pretty good one to watch between two guys and uh, coaches getting after it. And, uh, It looked like it came all the way down to
6: the wire. It did, actually. Military Magnet uh, scored a touchdown late in that one and uh, went for a two-point conversion to tie things up, and the Raptors' defense uh, stepped up and and got the stop when they needed it, and that's what ended up being the difference is they held on for a win. You know, these are two programs that generally struggle, so for them to get any win is is a big deal for them. Academic Magnet actually last year, I think they started 4-0, so it was a really good start for them, and then – you know, they get into that region play, and, you know, things get a lot tougher for them from there. But so, you know, for, for those kids to pick up any wins early on in the season, you know, I know they're excited about that.
4: A couple of the other teams here, kind of a, a, a rapid fire here. We did see last night, and, and this one probably a little bit of rivalry here. Baptist Hill knocks down St. John's 44-8. to eight. You got Cross 46. Koshan doing it big, 46-8. to eight. Another big win. How about Woodland handling it? Bethune, Bowman, 60-20. to Talk about a couple of those games as uh, they kind of uh, under the radar but still made a lot of noise
6: and put a lot of points on the board between their three schools. Yeah, you know, Woodland's offense showing that, you know, even though they lost to Aaron Harrison, the, the quarterback who went up to Vir, uh, Virginia last year, they still got an amazing offensive line led by Cam Pringle, the the big offensive lineman who's going to be going to South Carolina. You know they they're going to be able to put up points this year as they showed last night. So Woodland's going to be a problem in in that two a cross bouncing back after losing their first game of the season, going to Hemingway, putting up 48 points. That's a that's a huge win for them. And then I was at the Baptist Hill game. Baptist Hill was pretty much in control of that one from the start. They were up 20 to nothing midway through the second quarter added a few more points before the half, and, you know, they walk away with a win. Uh, Marion Brown, one of the longest tenured coaches in the in the low country, you know, always puts up good teams, and they're always going to go through the air and, and put up a lot of points, especially against a team like St. John. So getting that first win is, is big for them.
4: Now we look around, and there was one or two other games, and we'll look at Steven real quick before I ask you a couple of questions here, Kevin. Now you look at Northwood Academy, uh boy, 2 and 0. Oh. Johnny is be good here and he is doing it well. Johnny Waters wins game number 2 uh, as they go 49 to 39 beating Callison Pratt, man. What a what a change of uh wind and guard over there uh, on 17
6: now. Yeah, I mean, you you talk about a change of culture. Johnny Waters goes in there, takes over a program that has not won a game in years, a 29 game losing streak going into the start of this season. They start this year with a win. They go on the road this week against a good college and prep team. That is a good skiza program. And to go in and put up 49 points and come back with a win, Northwood back to 2-0. I mean, remember, 10 years ago, Northwood was one of the top of programs in the state as well. They were going to state title games and, and always in contention, and they just fell on some hard times. And, you know, I can't think of a better guy than Johnny Waters to go in there and turn things around. And at least early on, it looks like that's just what he's doing. Yeah, and he's doing a good job at
4: it as well as we kind of look around here in the course uh, in the other part of skis and We still kind of keeping an eye open over here at Pinewood. They lose a tough win to Lawrence Manning, 34-19. Uh, your thoughts on, on a team like that? Now, we understand it's going to take a little bit of time, but you know the coach over there, Devontae Holloman, is a winning coach He will get it together. you got to give him some time, but I promise you, I really feel that he's the right guy for the job over there.
6: Yeah, I've got no doubt about that as well. But you know, early on, any anywhere you go, especially you know, starting off as a new head coach, uh, you've got to you're going to struggle maybe to, to get things together. And things are going to be tough next week as well. They're back at home taking on Ben Lippin, so they're going to have their hands full again, trying to avoid going to zero and three. But uh, I'm with you. Eventually, he's going to get things going. It just might be a little bumpy off at the start.
4: Now, the one game that I don't know if it shocked me or not, but I know these guys are always winning. It didn't happen their way they wanted to last night, and that's St. John's Christian. Boy, they lost to Patrick Henry 33-6, to Kev, uh, as we wrap up the school board here. Uh, your thoughts on the team that always seems to be winning uh, a state championship on that
6: division? Yeah, they've definitely been uh, a contender the last couple of years, and they started off with a good win last week to move to 1-0, and going on the road last night against Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry got a good team this year, it looks like, and St. John's Christian just struggled to, to get the ball moving and just couldn't find the end zone too much. But knocking them down to 1-1, uh, but they're back at home next week. They play Calhoun Academy, so a, a quick chance for them to bounce back. Now, the word that we didn't like to hear, but we heard it a couple times last night, that was uh,
4: the word COVID started to pop out a little bit, Kevin. And isn't that kind of wild? I mean, it didn't seem like last year it was. I think, but here we go. Archbury Wilkinson was hit with it last night. I believe they were uh, sidelined, and I know uh, Spring Valley was one of those conversations, man. I mean, this is something that, you know, you you start to wonder if you're in the high school league up there in that office or in the Skiza office, uh, what have you. You start to worry a little bit because, of course, they need to get these region games in, and now we're going to start to see some teams pause for that cause. Your thoughts on this thing possibly starting to ant back up a little bit?
6: Yeah, not happy about that at all. That's not what we want to be keeping track of right now. You know, we were hopeful that that wasn't something that was going to be coming up at all, but apparently it is. And it's not just football. You know, we saw it at Collegiate Women's Soccer this week. South Carolina State had to cancel their game against the College of Charleston uh, earlier this week because of COVID issues. And, you know, we've been through this, and I'm sick of talking about it. Everyone's sick of talking about it, but it looks like it's going to be, an issue for at least a little while. So uh, curious to see how many teams really start ramping things up and, and making sure guys are, are wearing masks on the field or, or at least around school and whatnot to try to avoid things spreading too much. But, you know, hopefully uh, this variant isn't too bad. And, and hopefully it's not going to be like it was at the start of 2020, where if you, if you catch this and you're out for two weeks and, you know, hopefully it's just going to be a couple days and then you can get right back to work. But this stinks. I don't like it. Nobody wants to see it. And hopefully it goes away quick.
4: No doubt. As we finally uh, wrap it up here with the one and only Kevin Billidoux, Live five sports always does a five-star job here with Southern sports central man, buddy, two, talking to five-star guys, five-star coaches announced uh, this past week that this is it. This is his final tour. He'll do a big thing. He's done great things at South Carolina state and he's done it on every campus. He's landed on, whether it be the head coach or position coach or a coordinator, we're going to miss this guy. Man, he has really built an incredible culture and a standard in Orangeburg with a great group of guys. And you saw just yesterday the list of 4 or 5, and Shaq Davis, former Somerville High School grad and big-time receiver, is now on that list, the kids that are playing in the NFL under this guy. Uh, Kind of shocked a little bit by me, but not really, because I knew uh, he he had some days in him, but I didn't know how many more he had
1: left.
6: Yeah, I mean – absolute legend in, in the state and in HBCU college football guys won two national championships for, for the Bulldogs. He's a three-time national coach of the year. Uh, so just put up, he's got the most wings in South Carolina state history, which is saying something for a school that had Willie Jeffries as the head coach before him. So, you know, I'm really sad to see him go. He is just one of the, the great coaches we've had in the state since I've been here for almost two decades now, I've always enjoyed talking to him. He's he's always got a sense of humor about everything going on. He's a great interview. Uh, he's done so much for that school. I, I don't even know if that school would still be playing uh, at this level if it wasn't for Buddy Pugh. So they owe him a huge debt of gratitude, uh, Yeah, debt of gratitude, and, you know, he definitely deserves to go out the way he wants to, and if this is how that is, then more power to him. No doubt. Kevin, got some games today,
4: my friend. You got Going to watch some football. I know you got the little one there. You got the other two boys there. So what's on the agenda on this probably the hottest day we've had in South Carolina from what they're telling us?
6: Man, I'm going back to bed. I literally woke up just to talk to you. <laughs> I was up till 2.30 in the morning getting getting all these videos on social media for everyone to see. And the baby's up right now. So I'm going back to bed. No doubt, man.
4: Hey, for everything you do on and off the air over at Live 5
6: Sports and, of course, what you
4: do with us here at Southern Sports Central, man, (laughs) take care. God bless. Enjoy the week. Enjoy the weekend. And until next weekend, man, we'll talk to you soon. All
6: right, bud. Take care.
4: All right, guys, there you go. The one and only, the man that takes time away and gets up early in the day for us here at Southern Sports Central is Kevin Villadu. He'll do what he does and always do what he continues to do and cover the state as well as right here in the low country in high school sports. He does it and does it in style there. But I do want to say I did get a a heads up from a coach in the low country. I believe one of the players from Stahl broke his leg last night. That's a tough one, man. I tell you what, uh, you know, these guys putting in everything they got in a a situation like that, that that's definitely going to slow down his uh, his season. Not sure if he's a junior or a senior, uh, but either way, I mean, this is a a huge blow to a young man that I'm sure has put in so much time in the weight room, so much time in the classroom, uh, which he'll continue to do, but uh, on his mind-wise, right? I mean, that's really what it's about, hearts and minds here on Southern Sports Central, but just kind of keep him in in your prayers there as he will continue to, uh, well, hit that recovery button. So we got to take a break. When we come back, it's time to talk a little college football. That's right. We're going to head in with the one and only, the man from Charlotte, North Carolina, former player, a, well, DV for Coach Pye when he was at Penn State, but now he's, Got his own show, The Shutdown Corner. Reginald Walker Jr., part of our family, will join us next. uh, Right after this, guys, don't go anywhere. A little bit more of Southern Sports Central coming out of this break, guys.
1: Sports Central, your source for all things sports, with your host, Richie Altman. Richie Altman, and Eugene Benton, taking your calls at 323-784-9681. Now, let's join Richie in the studio.
4: Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richie Yelman here live on Southern Sports Central. We're coming to you from the coastline of South Carolina on a beautiful Saturday on Southern Sports Central. When we change gears, we head in to the college ranks, And who better to start it up with us than the one and only Reginald Walker Jr. from the shutdown corner. You can hear him over there on ESPN in Charlotte, North Carolina. That will be also for college game day. This time next week, we'll be doing it big as the Gamecocks the Tar Heels, and a lot of others will take on their first opponents of the year. But today, we got college football. It's back, and so is Reggie. Welcome back, buddy.
3: Appreciate it, man.
8: I tell you, you said said a beautiful day down there on the coastline of South Carolina. At least y'all got a little breeze coming in. It's hotter than you know (laughs) what up here in Charlotte.
4: Oh, I bet. I haven't been outside. I can't even lie to you, man. I'm sitting back here in the studios. I'm looking out the window. It looks beautiful. But, you know, you remember that commercial uh, in the wintertime, fans? <laughs> it's going to be abysmal. I mean, 109 degrees. Reggie, before we talk sports, let's talk weather. Why do they say it's 100, but it feels like 109? Are they just trying to make us feel better? If it's 109, it feels like 109. Can you just tell me it's 109? Can we just go with that?
3: I, I, listen, I,
8: I, I know a lot of meteorologists, and I, I love many of them dearly. I don't understand it either. <laughs> At this point, my mindset says, if the temperature is going to be above 95, don't even put a temperature, just put high. hot.
4: Hot. <laughs> Stay inside. That's what I'm hearing. Oh, my God. No doubt, man. No
8: <laughs> indoors, right? <laughs> yeah.
4: No doubt. Power bills are going to be uh, hitting an all-time high. I know mine did last month. I was looking at my power bill, and I was like, my God, if this thing keeps going – we're going to have to figure some other things out. But uh, one thing we don't have to figure out is what to do today because there will be a handful of football games on the start off in Ireland. How appropriate to see the Irish there playing uh, across the waters there against the Navy team. And then there's four other games all the way into uh, the late night here. It's going to be a good day for football. But everybody, and I mean everybody's looking at Charlotte and next week it's College Game Day has got a new song coming out with Post Malone. You've got a couple of new guys doing some new things. But we do know that at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, in those morning hours, we'll all either be in Charlotte or in front of a TV watching Charlotte because it's going to be college game day, man. It should be a good week over there with you guys.
3: Yeah, I mean, look,
8: it's going to be big. And, I, you know, before we even spin that far forward, I think today is going to be an important day in college football. I think it's going to be a, a major moment for Notre Dame. And a lot of people go, they're playing Navy. They're going to beat Navy. I agree with that, but this is a Notre Dame defense that was in the top 30-ish last year in the country in total defense. They were pretty good against the run. Navy was fourth in the nation. We know they run the football, right? Navy fourth in the nation in running the football. Notre Dame better have the proper eye discipline, and they got to be dominant. They need to show me that they can be dominant on defense against a Navy team that athletically is not as talented as Notre Dame. If they can show me if they can dominate Notre Dame. And when I say dominate, I'm, I mean Navy. When I say dominate, I'm not talking about win the game 20-17. to 17. I'm talking about hold this Navy, you know, option attack to less than 10 points, you know, less than 200 yards rushing. Like, they need to dominate this football game to signify to me that this defense, and we'll get to Sam Hartman on the offensive side in a second, but they need to show me that this defense it's ready to be a college football playoff championship level defense or i don't want to have that conversation about them for the rest of the season
4: no doubt they're going to be challenged early i mean early in this week and again everybody does you're right everybody's going to say it's just navy it's just navy it's right it is just navy <laughs> so handle the navy boys if you will but i got to tell you if the defense isn't playing at all then your defensive guy if you're not playing a Simon football in an offense like navy it can make it for a long day and that's a long plane ride home if you don't come back with the dub.
8: Not to mention, and you said it right, and and, and if you're going to play a team like Navy, you better do it the first game of the season or coming off a bye. Because when you play those kinds of offenses with all that misdirection going on and and all the different things that those offenses present to you, you have to have that extra time because you have to unteach everything you've taught. right? Most of defense is see ball, hit ball. Right? Go see it, go hit it. Well, against an option attack like that, that ball's moving. There's a lot of ball handling going on. If your eyes are wrong or if you're slow to react because you're not sure what you're seeing, that's a big play. So you have to unteach a lot of the disciplines that you have against other conventional, if you will call them, offenses to deal with what Navy and this triple option offense does. So this is the perfect time for Notre Dame to play them, but they had better play well. I'm a big Marcus Freeman guy, but I think even he knows his defense has to, has to make a statement and send a message to the country today.
4: Now let's go to the other side of the ball, and I'm a big fan of him as well, but he made a big statement. He got Sam Hartman out of, of course, Wake Forest. He, of course, played high school football right down here in the low country at Oceanside. So Coach Chad Greer, now Providence and Bay, by the way, over there by you, uh, who won big over the weekend a week ago. Uh, but now he's got Sam Hartman over there in his back pocket. He's going to be able to throw the ball. He's not, I'm not going to say he's not a runner, but he's definitely a passer. Uh, what are you looking at at, uh, Sam Hartman, who is now going to have a chance to debut uh, his talents in a different area, but now do it in front of an entire world view because they will be the only game coming on uh, around that 2 o'clock hour today.
8: got he, he, Listen, they've got a chance to make a statement offensively as well, and it's amazing that you asked this question. I'm sitting at a stoplight. Um, I'm hands-free, everybody. I'm hands-free. Uh, but I'm sitting at a stoplight. <laughs> but what I think we're going to see is the opposite of that from this Notre Dame offense. I think we're going to see a lot more of the go. Think about this. Between uh, the two quarterbacks at Notre Dame last year, Pine and Buckner, they threw for about 2,700 yards. Sam Hartman threw for 3,700 yards by himself last season. Okay? So that tells you right there this is an offense that has a signal caller that they expect that can do some things and be much more effective pushing the ball down the field being aggressive in this passing game. I think that's going to be important for Notre Dame if they want to have high levels of success this season. And I think Sam Hartman, with his experience, this is year six in college football for him as well. That is going to be a major factor. He's seen everything there is to see. This is an offense that needs him to be able to push the ball down the field. And let's call it what it is. Marcus Freeman is trying to restore order, if you will, in south bend with this offense and with this program as a whole and oh by the way sam hartman understands this is the last chance to impress the nfl scouts. so i think it's a perfect marriage for everybody and i expect notre dame to be much improved particularly in the passing game on the offensive side of the ball
4: you know it's interesting you mentioned quarterbacks let's look at the quarterback room real quick now i did see a lot of names on this of course uh that quarterback, May, he's at the top of the list there at North Carolina. Texas has got a quarterback that's going to be uh, a conversation. But there has been many, many conversations that this guy, when he was at Wake Forest, Reggie, he was going to be one of the top guys to go. But I don't remember the last projection, him being in the top five. What do you think affected that, or is just some of these other guys that are going to be coming out this year going to be really good? Like you said, this has, gives him a chance to kind of sharpen his coin a little bit and his craft and get a little bit higher on that projection board.
8: Well, remember, he had the health issue uh, to, to start the year last year, so I think that obviously impacts what some NFL teams do think and or say. That's number one. Number two, that slow mesh offense that Dave Clawson uses at Wake Forest, that, that you don't see that at all in the NFL. And so he's get, that creates extra time to truly sit back and read some things. Well, you don't get that in the NFL. And I think some NFL people are concerned about the ability to adjust off of that. Uh, so that probably impacts it somewhat as well. Uh, and then, you know, obviously wins and losses matter. And then putting up those big numbers, those big stats in some of those big moments, Hartman didn't always deliver that. And, and part of that is the, the team that was around him. And, and part of that was some of the opponents they were playing. And at the end of the day, yes, it's important to put up numbers but you've got to win big games and big moments and play against programs that people really believe in their defense at the NFL level. And until you're able to do that consistently, sometimes, are, sometimes NFL scouts are concerned about what it is that you can produce at the NFL level. So, uh, look, this is his last chance. And some of those other guys, they're a little bit more mobile, they're a little bit bigger, they're a little bit faster, they maybe have a little bit stronger arms. All of those things are factors as well especially when you think about a guy like a Drake May and his ability to move around, Caleb Williams and his ability to move around and use his feet uh, to pick up first downs and make plays. Uh, Even a guy who's now at South Carolina like a Spencer Rattler, his ability to run around and make plays and use his legs. So you start looking at some of the different quarterbacks that are out there. Those things are factors as well. And in a lot of ways they sort of go against uh, Sam Hartman in, in that aspect in terms of the perceived and the perception of his overall athleticism and twitchy muscle ability.
4: Yeah, that's the things that I'm watching for, too. And I I like that you brought up that type of offense that he ran at Wake Forest. Well, it was interesting from a college point of view, and you know this firsthand. It's not even anywhere close to interesting for an NFL guy. Now, again, you were a quarterback in your day, and you probably could have played every other position around the ball as well. But let's just talk about the X's and O's of being drafted from the greatest college players don't always make the best NFL players. Help our listeners and our audience understand that because that's like comparing a great coach doesn't always make a great player, right? I mean, kind of a, kind of a same scenario maybe.
8: Player development can be tough because you don't know, right? We, we always say if this guy becomes this or if he at, right, we hear it in the NBA all the time, right? A guy gets drafted and they go, well, if he can learn how to handle the ball, if he can become a better passer, if he can have better vision on the ball, if he becomes a good defender, if he becomes a good shooter, he'll be a superstar. Of course. You just named every skill in the sport. <laughs> yeah. But in football, in football, it's, it's information processing particularly at the quarterback position. So as you're dropping back, are you seeing it as fast as your body can react to it, right? Some people, right, there's this new test, and it's what basically the Panthers fell in love with in in their mindset of drafting Bryce Young, and it's about information processing. And they said Bryce Young scored the highest on processing information. Great. But you better have the arm talent to get it there. You better have the wherewithal to check into those plays before – the ball is snapped. All of those things have to matter, right? So it all adds up. So when you talk about some of the cerebral aspects, that's things that people can't control. Also, certain physical tools, a guy can work on his, quote, speed forever. It doesn't mean he's going to get faster. And so sometimes all of those things, when you add all that up, it doesn't met out to that player becoming what you think. And it's, it's oftentimes not the fault of anybody except for genetics maybe, and or, now sometimes it's not the right teacher. That doesn't mean that coach is a bad coach. It just means the way they coach it and teach it doesn't resonate with that player. So there's so many different factors, and I think people forget about that sometimes. All of this stuff comes down to human nature, and every human ain't the same.
4: That's a good factor as well. And, and I'm going to tell you, that's the thing, Reggie, that I, I think sometimes we don't really look at the, the whole what this guy did at this level is not always going to transpire into what he could do at this level. Again, you see that in high school to college, college to the pros, whether it be any sport at all, right? Baseball, a little different. Football, look, it is what it is. You are what we thought you are. And if you can't hit the X's and O's, we appreciate what you did in college, but that doesn't always see. I mean, let's go back to, I mean, we talk about quarterbacks. Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow was an incredible quarterback in college. Boy, he was a headliner every time he touched the ball from all the time he was in the end zone, whatever it was, right? He was making plays. That didn't transpire for him to be that guy in the NFL. Why? Because he was more of, I thought, a tight end guy. But his mindset and his ability and what he wanted, what he wanted, wasn't that. He wanted to be a quarterback. And would that be kind of a perfect scenario of what a guy was in college doesn't always transpire to what he would be in the NFL?
8: Yeah, I think that's an example. Remember, Ryan Tannehill was a receiver when he first got to Texas A yeah. and M, and they figured out this is not the right answer. We're going to turn him into a quarterback. And he was he had a solid NFL career. Uh, another point I would use is, is baseball because you mentioned baseball. I think people forget mm-hmm. about this. The place that most teams have their best prospects, it's not in AAA. It's Double A. That's where the highest level prospects often are before they go to Major League Baseball because those are the guys that are going to go to the Major Leagues. Most of the guys in AAA, most of them, not all of them, but most of the guys in AAA are probably going to get short stints in the majors or they're guys on the back ends of their careers trying to get back to the majors one more time. But the best, the highest level prospects – most teams' top 10 to top 15 prospects are on their double-A team rosters, and that's where they spend most of their time. So it's not always where you think. You just got to put like-minded players and athletes in the same space and then see how it mets out.
4: No doubt. As we look around, we're hanging out with the one and only, of course, Reginald Walker Jr. You can catch him over on the shutdown corner right there in Charlotte on ESPN. He does a phenomenal job. He, of course, played his days with Joe Pye and, of course, the Nittany Lions. We'll talk some Big Ten now with you, as uh, that's a close place. Harbaugh, but what was your thoughts when you heard that Michigan said, we got an NCAA, don't worry about it, we'll penalize ourselves over here? Kind of a chuckle in my ear is what I heard from a lot of people, but I kind of sat back and thought, okay, maybe we are trying to flex and not have the NCAA around. Uh, Kind of not unshocking, but then again, it's uh, Michigan trying to do what they can to, salvage a coach and not have him out too long, right?
8: It's funny you said Big Ten because right now I feel like it's the Big 30. But anyway, um, w- when you think about Harbaugh <laughs> right. and that situation, it, it, I, didn't think it, I, I think they could have taken the four-game suspension from these. Th- their first four games, they're not worried about losing those games. They're just not. And so, to me, they're going to be 4-0 zero one way or the other. If this Michigan team is what we think they're going to be or what we think they are, they may not lose the first four games. I don't care if I'm coaching. So to me, the suspension i I said it I said it a million times on my show. Who cares? It doesn't matter anyway. And I stand by that premise not to not to be difficult, not to not answer your question, but at the end of the day,
0: right.
8: it doesn't matter nobody's beat Michigan
4: the first four weeks of the season anyway. This is true. Very true. Now, let's look at the Big Ten, the Big 32. And, again, I do feel, and somebody chuckled at me yesterday, and I said, look, you say what you want to say. I truly believe. And, again, I don't know any names. I don't have any votes. But I just feel that we're heading to two major conferences, right? And it's going to be 32 on one, 32 on the other. And they're still going to find a way for the Big 12 to exist. And they're going to have – the new Ivy School, which is known as the ACC, if they end up getting Stanford and SMU, that's threw a shoulder shrug for me. But whatever, and Cal, I guess, comes over. That would be kind of the Olympic College. <laughs> I mean, I just didn't see SMU. But anyways, I want you to talk about that too. But for me, I feel like we're going in that, that we're going in that direction. Not saying that these other smaller conferences can't find a way into the conversation at at large bids, but it feels like we're going into what you see on the level under where we are and having a bigger playoff pitcher than we normally do, but still having the bowl affiliations that way it's paid for and getting sponsorships. But what is your take on it after we've kind of simmered down and some of the smoke's kind of cleared a little bit?
8: Yeah, I think you're right. I I think we may end up with more like four conferences that that matter, Um, and I think they're all going to be somewhere around 20-plus, right? Because there's only going to be about 70-ish, between 65 and 70. Schools that really bring in the, the the money, right? You may get up to eighty with some throw-ins, like you got Vanderbilt there, or you you know, North West, whatever. So those are going to be factors. But I think you're right, and I think part of the problem is, you know, you look at this thing as a whole. I honestly think that a lot of these presidents and 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 chancellors are going to look up in seven to ten years and say, what are we? Why did we do all? What what what? Why? Like why are we in this situation? Um, I, think, I think that's going to be a factor coming up. And getting back to the SMU thing and, and, and Cal and Stanford, and then when you look at, you know, even Oregon and Washington going to the Big Ten, this is all about money, yet everybody's taking not full distributions. And SMU is saying they're willing to not take a media rights payout for seven years. Se- are you kidding me? I don't care how much you're going to get down the line. To not get paid for seven years that doesn't make any sense if i'm a donor i'm the first thing I'm right. saying to them is, if you don't make that deal, do yourself a favor, lose my number two because I'm not donating more because you decided to walk away from any t v distribution deals absolutely not right I mean between that and, and 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 let's 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 look at the other aspect of this too, right so let's call a spade a spade, and I don't know when it's going to happen, and I don't know who's going to be the first one to feel it. But CBS, Fox, and NBC just wrote big checks to the Big Ten, which those checks are getting bigger as they add schools. is going to have to write a check to the ACC and the SEC very soon. Who else going to have money besides the streaming services? At some point, because... Remember, ESPN is going to be in the mix with Turner over the NBA stuff. ESPN just wrote a big check to the NFL to get a piece of the playoffs. At some point, the money's going to start to go down. For the first time, it was reported by Sports Business Journal, which is, that's why I work full-time, that there were more people watching television, particularly sports-related programming, there were more people watching on streaming services and apps than on linear television. At some point, these networks cannot keep writing checks this big if there are less and less people watching, which means the media rights distributions are going to go down. So guess what? Then everybody's going to say, why are we all in the same conference and I'm not getting that much money? This doesn't work. Why did I do this? I'm telling you, this thing is going to turn the other way in the next decade and some change.
4: Hanging out with Reginald Walker Jr. Of course, you can catch him live there in Charlotte, as he does an incredible job uh, there in many different levels. And also, if you're following some college football, he's uh, covering a couple of those teams up and around that area along as well. Now, Reggie, let's talk about this as well. The other thing that really kind of itches me a little bit is you're seeing a lot of people aren't going to the games as much as they used to. You remember 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Neyland Stadium and all these other stadiums were trying to become the biggest stadium in college football. I feel like now they're going to make a lot more room for these other guys and say, look, it's a little bit more of a luxury suite. We can charge a little bit more. Not to mention alcohol is now in some of these stadiums. Uh, It just feels like there's a lot of turning and burning in college football, and it all relates to what? Not the athlete, but the money that comes in with the athlete. Well, it's
8: it's twofold, right? Number one, you've got students at these colleges. They want their school to be good, but they're just interested in sitting in a stadium for – four hours, they're also disinterested in sitting in a stadium, and I'm going to make this up, when the University of South Carolina is playing some small school that they've never heard of. Those kids are not, they're not going to spend their time in a stadium doing that. The attention span does not allow that. They can get it on their phones. They can get it on their apps. They, they don't care. That's part of it. The second part of it is, I don't know about everywhere else, but I know a lot of schools have some... The way they set it up is you've got to essentially donate a certain amount of money to have access to be able to purchase tickets and sit in favorable locations in the stadium. So that number of people with that kind of funds, those kinds of funds, that number is not going up. It's going down. You've got less and less people with the ability to donate a quarter million dollars to the football program and then buy season tickets to the tune of another seven thousand dollars like everybody can't do that and that's affecting some of these bottom lines as well so you're right you do more luxury suites for those people that do have the money and yeah yeah, the students can come if they want to show up but those people that buy the single game tickets nobody's wasting time on them anymore you're either a season ticket holder or a student otherwise we don't care
4: Hmm. very true hanging out wrapping it up here with the one and only of course you can catch him over there on ESPN in Charlotte with the shutdown corner, Reginald Walker Jr. Reggie, uh, as you start to kind of shut down here and uh, we get ready for some college football, uh, what's some of the biggest headlines or what is the biggest headline that you're kind of wanting to see uh, early in the season as we get ready for, uh, well, week zero today and week one next week?
8: Uh, A couple of things. I want to say, to be honest, and this is going to sound wild, uh, the soon-to-be defunct Pac-12, they may, have some of the best, they may have the best group of quarterbacks conference in the country. I mean, when you think about some of the guys out there, DJU, we know what he did at Clemson, and, and yeah, they ran him off. But at the end of the day, we still know what he did. We know what his track record is. Uh, you think about Bo Nix. Since he left Auburn and went to Oregon, he's been a much better football player. Michael Penix, Jr. left Indiana, went to the University of Washington. I mean, I could go on and on. Caleb Williams at USC. I mean, you look across that conference. At the quarterbacks that are out there, if you don't show up defensively every week, you're going to get embarrassed, absolutely embarrassed. So that's number one that I'm keeping an eye on. And and then also, obviously, the storyline of the ACC is, 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 is this Florida State football program with all the noise that their president has been talking this offseason. Are they legit? Are they back, right? You look at them. You look at, uh, obviously, Clemson. But I think the team to watch in the ACC is NC State, and there's two reasons why. What they can do on their defensive front, and then Brendan Armstrong, year six in college at the quarterback spot, the coach that he played for, his position coach and, and coordinator at the University of Virginia for two years who was at Syracuse last year, Robert and I, he is with him at NC State. Keep an eye on the Wolfpack in the ACC. And then in the SEC, the last one, can Brian Kelly dethrone not only Nick Saban, but also two-time defending national champion Kirby Smart in Georgia? Those are the ones I'm looking at big. And then lastly, obviously, I'm always looking at my Nittany Lions. Can James Franklin get over the hump and find a way to get past Ohio State and Michigan and, and win a Big Ten championship and go to the college football playoff?
6: Man, look
4: at that. All that knowledge dropped in 30 minutes or less. You can catch him on his own show right there in Charlotte. Of course, that is the shutdown corner. Reggie, real quick, man, is there another way they can find you? Is there an avenue on this phone that we like to talk about uh, so they can check you out and listen to you if they're not in the Charlotte community?
8: Absolutely. Uh, if you go to uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts, uh, just search the Shutdown Corner or 730 The Game, which is uh, the ESPN radio affiliate in Charlotte, and you can get all the episodes of the Short D- Shutdown Corner podcast there as well. And also on, I guess it's called X now, uh, hit me on X, R-Walk 13, R-W-A-L-K-1-3. And uh, you said 30 minutes or less? Hey, man, I'm trying to be like the original Domino slogan, 30 minutes or less, you're
4: going to get everything you need. <laughs> that we did, my friend. Hey, as always, enjoy it, stay cool, stay hydrated. And until next week, We'll catch up with you Win, but we uh, appreciate your love, your attention, and your ability to educate us throughout the minutes that you give us, buddy. Take care. Enjoy the day, bud. Anytime. Keep holding it down for the people. We appreciate you. You got it. There he goes, the one and only Reginald Walker, Jr. You can check him out right there in Charlotte if you're in Charlotte. Of course, on ESPN. He does a phenomenal job on the show, The Shutdown Corner. Former defensive back for Joe Pye. He did a phenomenal job. Uh, in his days of college, he grew up there in Tennessee and uh, took his talents uh, to Penn State. Now, we got to go to break. We're going to reset the hour three, final hour three. It's our final Saturday show, by the way. Uh, stay tuned for when we will come back. I believe we're going to do uh, a Tuesday morning show coming up this week. So you do want to follow us on Facebook at Southern Sports Central. Check us out on Twitter at SOSports Central or we're on IG. That's South underscore Sports underscore Central. And uh, you can keep up with us on that slate as well. Coming up next, this young man used to call in a lot. He used to check in with us, check in on a regular basis. Talked about the Big 12 and the Oklahoma Sooners, the Texas Longhorns. Well, guess what? We're bringing them to the house. We're bringing them to the party. We're adding them into the family as these two teams, along with Mr. Timothy Bailey, will join us. In the SEC conversation, guys. Taking a break, coming back, and we're going to check in with the man with a plan in his own show. The show right after this, guys. Don't go anywhere.
0: You listen to me, and you listen good.
1: Southern Sports Central. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And give us a call at 323-784-9681. Let's rejoin Richie and Eugene on Southern Sports Central.
4: Welcome back, everybody. I am your host, Richie been here on Southern Sports Central. Glad to have you with us for our final hour of Southern Sports. on our Saturday edition the as uh, of change. We, we get back to uh, get back in the groove of things here, checking out some things. But uh, Saturday has been a good day for us, but we will turn over the reins to college game day as they will be there in, uh, well, Charlotte, North Carolina, for the Gamecocks and the Tar Heels. But today, well, we get to finish up the day with Tim Bailey. He is the host of his own show, the Tim Bailey Show, You can find them on Facebook, but right now you can find them on Southern Sports Central, brother. Welcome back. Glad to have you with us, man. Hey, how's it
9: going? It's been a while.
4: It's been too long, my friend. I'm proud of you. But I was telling a guy the other day and I said, man, look, I can look around. There's a couple of guys that have been guests on the show, have called in and educated, entertained us, and, uh, I always had a vision of doing their own thing. And a few girls, by the way, as well, that are doing their thing, but you're on that list, man. And I watched your show yesterday. I was heading to a meeting yesterday and I chimed in on a couple of things, but I just love to sit back and, and watch you chasing your dreams and doing big things, man. What a first class production you guys have over there on your own show named after yourself, the Tim Bailey show, buddy. Good job. Yeah. Thanks.
9: No, I appreciate it. And, uh, it's been a fun and interesting journey and uh, with a lot of twists and turns. I, I know not too, uh, not too different than yourself and, and your and your chase for, for your dream. And uh, so, uh, to be honest, so what you've done is, uh, you know, was inspiring at times in the past. And I thought about, you know, not doing this thing anymore. So, uh, you know, a lot of respect for what you guys have done here at Southern Sports Central. And uh, uh, certainly uh, happy to, uh, you know, hop back
4: on since such a long time. It's been a while. We're glad to have you, and hopefully we can keep you around, man. I do know that we're all both excited here. I would imagine we're both excited. You're a big Oklahoma student guy, man. And, uh, you know, when you first came on, uh, Big 12 was kind of where it was, and nobody thought anything different. Nobody thought the winds would change, and and a couple of the big horses in that conference would find their way to the SEC. But here you are joining in a few family members from the past, Missouri and Texas A&M. Uh, first of all, let's start at the beginning of this conversation, man. When you guys heard, and be it you and, and a bunch of your buddies that are Oklahoma fans and even your Texas guys that you probably poked fun at during the year, when you found out that that could be a reality, man, what was your first thing about leaving the Big 12 and coming into the SEC?
9: Well, it, it's, a, it's a mixed feeling, right? Uh, because the Big 12 conference, you know, it's a conference that Oklahoma and Texas, you know, not only formed more or less together through a partnership, um, but it was also a conference that Oklahoma and Texas signed a 99-year grant of rights to guarantee its long-term stability back in 2011, when uh, when the four you know when the four of Colorado, Nebraska, Texas A&M, and Missouri defected, and is you know. A lot of people don't recall the Big 12 was kind of the first super conference when it was formed in the 90s. It united you know Nebraska, Texas, and Oklahoma uh, in, into one league. Uh, it's kind of the first domino, really, in this whole expansion thing. You probably can point to is that 1995 season uh, with the Big 12. Uh, the Big 12 was obviously uh, right alongside the SEC for for much of its existence as the, the you know a top or right there at the top of college football. Um, And uh, I think that things really changed then. And uh, you look forward, you know, down the line, and it's like, you know, Oklahoma had the opportunity to leave for the SEC all the way back at that time. Uh, You know, the SEC has been wanting Texas for ever. (laughs) So, You know, it's just one of those things where, you know, you get to this era of the NIL and the transfer portal and you're seeing programs like, say, at Texas A&M that used to kind of, you know, get whatever scraps you allowed them to have, to start recruiting at a level similar to what you guys have been recruiting at. Yeah. And you see that and you look over there and you're like, you know what, man, why don't we just put an end to this nonsense and, and let's just join that thing ourselves. We'll make another $50 million a year. You know, went from, uh, you know, being kind of a provider to just kind of being part of the squad and, you know, getting their fair share, so, so to say. So, uh, Hang out with
4: did, the guy who, okay, sorry.
9: Financially makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, there's some similar rivalries and, and type of feelings between those fan bases of the SEC. I think the Big Ten could have been an interesting fit, too. But, uh, you know, the SEC, it, it, I, I think it works out well from a, more so from a geographical standpoint for sure.
4: Yeah, it's definitely an, an interesting conversation as we're hanging out with uh, Tim Bailey of uh, his own show, the Tim Bailey show that uh, you can find on Facebook along with some other avenues as well. But I can tell you that, that having Oklahoma, having Texas, bringing them into, which, again, I understand where the SEC, right? But I almost wish, and, and, and just a small chuckle, if you will, that there is a conference called the Big South, right? And it's actually a team uh, here in Charleston. Charleston Southern's in that conference. almost Minus losing the, the name brand, the notoriety of the SEC, boy, it would be a pretty cool name to call it the Big South because that's basically what it's going to be, basically, having you guys in there and having, uh, of course, uh, A&M back in the off-fold again and having Missouri back in your fold. How big do you see uh, the SEC? I mean, I know right now that they're, they're down a few numbers from what the Big 12 is now added into, so they're going to probably add a few, if not a lot more than a few, but where do you see the SEC heading and and what type of teams do you see them adding or if adding any? So I think
9: it's an interesting question, right? Because right now you have an incredible amount of revenue sharing. When you look at what the big 10 just did, adding Washington and Oregon, keep in mind, Washington and Oregon signed an agreement where they're only going to get like 30 million a year plus another 1 million additional each year until, you know, the new, you know, till the new TV deal. So, Oregon and Washington were programs that the Big Ten certainly wasn't exactly interested in. They agree to come in at half price, and you get to add that region. It makes a lot of sense. The, the, the issue here for the SEC is there aren't a lot of pieces on the board that's going to increase your annual revenue sharing among, you know, the members that are currently in there. And so it's going to be hard to ask those presidents of universities to add some of these other programs, and that includes Clemson and Florida State, who would bring annual revenue sharing down uh, into the fold because, you know, you're asking those presidents of those universities to take less money. And as we all know, this is all about the all-powerful dollar at the end of the day. Um, you know, it's not, as much as it's kind of been played out to be this fun, you know, expansion of, you know, creating exciting football matches, and there certainly some of that, um, this is more of a, conglomerate of branding to try to increase revenue. I don't see really anybody on the table but Notre Dame that would be would be a program that the SEC would want. Now, that doesn't mean they're done with expansion. There, there's always a chance that they could add more. Uh, but it, it's hard to see Clemson or Florida State being added or Miami, um, you know, with already having programs in the state of South Carolina and, and and Florida, that's a tough one, but I do think it's interesting to look at perhaps North Carolina, you know, because at some point, you know, North Carolina has a really good athletic program, you know, it puts you into that area, you might look at a, maybe a Virginia school, like Virginia Tech or Virginia, just because it gets you into that DMV area for recruiting and for TV markets, but at the end of the day, there's really not a lot left that the SEC is going for. There's nobody in California you can realistically bring in that's going to help you from a financial standpoint. And I just I don't know where that next direction is, but my guess would be trying to get trying to expand into the uh, into North Carolina and the DMV area. If I if I had to
4: to throw a dart at it, hanging out with Tim Bailey, part of his own show there, the Tim Bailey Show, found on Facebook and a few other outlets as well. You can catch him out. Uh, as he does his show. And, again, it is a great show. He breaks down very similar topics that we're doing right here uh, on the network right now, just kind of going through some college conversation. Uh, but you can catch him on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, uh, 9 a.m. to noon. Does an amazing job uh, covering some of the hottest topics. As we're looking around, uh, just college football, talking about the Big 12 heading this way a little bit more. And we had two. Now we got two more, so we've got four out, out of our uh, teams, if you're an SEC guy, hanging out from that side. Now, I will tell you this, Tim, and I agree with you. I think North Carolina could be a a team that would fit well. I know the Big Ten has actually shown interest in two teams in the ACC, one Georgia Tech, and one is that school, North Carolina. Now, I like and I hope that we would like to see, what I would like to see is try to keep traditions, which is robberies, right, and kind of geographically kind of keep us in conversation and common sense in the same manner. That's why I've actually placed out a, a I believe it's about 28 teams that are in this one. Oklahoma State is actually a part of that conversation, and the reason is because what we do is we bring in all the rivalries. And, again, that would make Clemson and that would make Georgia Tech and the, Florida's, and the Florida States and so on and so forth. Everybody would have a team within their state. Tulane would be a part of LSU's. Even though Tulane, I don't know if it's a fit for the SEC, but definitely would be a good conversation for the rivalry and, of course, the travel purposes, right? Um, But as you know and I know, it's not about travel. It's not about what we like. It's about what? The bottom dollar. And that, to me, has driven this entire thing, which is why we're now going to see the Pac-12 become what we used to see, not what we're going to see. I mean, I can think this year may be one of the most interesting years in the Pac-12 in a long time because this is the year for them of the quarterbacks. You know, we talk about wide receiver U. Well, they're kind of the QB U over there with the teams they have with a lot of transfers playing over there. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch those games. 11 and 12 o'clock at night, 1 o'clock in the morning, because they've had so many transfers playing, like Clemson's, Clemson's quarterback is hanging out over there, of course, in Oregon uh, State. Uh, you've got, of course, Oregon's got uh, the gentlemen from Auburn and a few other guys have kind of found themselves. But when it comes to the Pac-12, and you're a little bit covers that side of the country as well, what are some of the things you're going to miss about a Pac-12 team that's looking for some identity and maybe uh, life support that doesn't seem to be
1: coming?
9: Yeah, I mean, you know, being a a college football fan, I actually graduated high school in the state of Washington. So I came very – I very much so loved, you know, Pac-12 after dark and enjoying the Pac-12 conference. I don't think that the league is going to – because ultimately there are five schools with – there are five leagues with autonomy, and the Pac-12 is one of them. So they're going to be attractive for some of those group of five programs to sneak in over there. At the end of the day, that autonomy is going to give them an opportunity. And what I mean by that, the Power Five, what separates them from the group of five other than the brand, uh, what really separates them and makes the branded schools want to be there is they have autonomy. And meaning that is they can make their own rules and not really have to abide by the basic NCAA rules. From a technical standpoint, the SEC could all of a sudden say, we're going to do 95 scholarships. I'm not saying that they would do that, but I'm just saying – They have the autonomy to do so away from the NCAA, which I think has been a trend. Uh, As we're seeing, I think football will soon be uh, away from the NCAA in its entirety, but that's a topic for another day. Um, The tough part for the four schools that are left, um, and and it's very sad particularly for Stanford, who has an incredible athletic program as a whole, um, is these are schools that aren't going to bring in a ton of revenue for somebody else. So they're not attractive additions. We're seeing the ACC talk to some of those. And the reason for that is Notre Dame has prioritized over football for a long time now. It's not a secret to anybody. Um, and having, uh, you know, Notre Dame likes to play coast-to-coast. They want to play a game in Florida each year, and they want to play a game in California each year, which is why they play USC and Stanford every year and why for a while they were playing either Miami or Florida State every year. Um, they want to play one in each In each uh, region, they want to play around the country. That's because that's how they market themselves. They're a national brand, you know, and it is what it is for them. So, having those type of schools in the ACC is an attractive way to bring in Notre Dame. The ACC can save themselves by bringing Notre Dame in. Notre Dame, as much as people may not want to admit it, in the south um, is the biggest brand in college football. They have the biggest, most recognizable brand, and if they chose to do so. They could, with a snap of their finger, you know, change the way that they, you know, allow athletes to come in from an academic standpoint,
7: and immediately
9: change, flip recruiting and flip, you know, marketing upside down in an instant, in a heartbeat. It's up to them, ultimately. In this NIL era, they they could be they could be the Alabama that we witnessed from the last 15 years. Maybe not as many national titles, but just from the recruiting standpoint and. Mm. Um, you know, in the the branding and the the overall, you know, ability to win. And it's a snap of the finger. It's just a win if they choose to do that. And they're they're probably not going to. But the ACC can – the ACC would really like to have Notre Dame as a full-time member to secure their future. And and I do think that a quote-unquote power four is more likely than the power two idea Um, just because of what we talked about earlier when it comes to revenue sharing and uh, you know, there's a lot of good football in these other leagues, right? So, like, I think that's one thing that that gets forgotten is look at the Big 12 and what they've been able to accomplish and, and the teams that they have. In there. That's a really good football conference. There's a lot of good football teams. Obviously, we know what they are in basketball too. But that conference is is going to be a really good conference on the field of play. Maybe not in people's right. bank accounts and in their pockets, but that's going to be a good league. They're gonna they're gonna have teams that are very, very, very. Uh, well-prepared, they fought through a competitive schedule. So when they get to that 12-team playoff, they're going to be teams to be reckoned with from that league. But, you know, at the end of the day, like we've said, this expansion is all about the dollar. I don't know where uh, – I've heard some rumors that Oregon State has talked to the Mountain West. That would be very sad if Wazoo and Oregon State end up in the Mountain West. I do think Cal and Stanford probably end up with a landing spot just because of Stanford's academic and, you know, their overall brand, I, I do think they'll get an opportunity to be in a Power Five League, most likely uh, the ACC
4: as, as it's looking today. Hey, and that was Tim Bailey. He is uh, on the Tim Bailey Show, the, the host there, and he does everything. Uh, as you can find him on Facebook a few other great avenues to catch up with this guy. Talking college football does a phenomenal job, extras and O's, and everything in between. Today, he's part of Southern Sports Center Comes back after a few years away. Used to jump in here with me on a regular basis and call us up on the Big 12 and all the teams in and around that league. Now, that league seems to be and and, and what a great way for them to end one chapter, I guess, of the Big 12 or or, or one page to turn. This could be uh, the best conference in college football, a lot of people are saying. I was watching a little bit of College Game Day a little bit earlier and a lot of those guys are giving them high praises saying this could be the conference to watch for. Uh, What's your take on this final year of the Big 12 and what they're probably going to do is they, uh, you know, you, you see the Texas and the Oklahomans uh, trying to leave in style and, and, and leave a taste in a lot of these guys' mouth as they head over to the SEC. <laughs>
9: well, uh, you know, the president of the Big 12 Conference, uh, you know, stated this week that, uh, you know, they'll he'll be rooting for Texas when they play Texas. Um, I do think there is a little bit of intrigue there, and I'm actually going to cover this more in depth on my show, but there has been some very questionable uh, officiating slants against Oklahoma and Texas the last couple of years um, in the Big 12 Conference. Um, there was a game last year that not a lot of people were talking about, but uh, Oklahoma made a field goal in overtime against Texas Tech that was good, and uh, the officials called it no good and then said it could not be reviewed, and Oklahoma then subsequently lost to Texas Tech on a field goal. Texas had a game against Oklahoma State. Um, where they had zero penalty – where Oklahoma State has zero penalties accepted against them and only one total called in that very wild come-from-behind victory for the Cowboys. Uh, Yeah, the 2021 Bedlam game, which was probably one of the most absurd officiated games that I've ever witnessed in my life. Um, It has been pretty clear that the Big 12 is not exactly, uh, you know – fans of the move by Oklahoma and Texas, Um, but this last season is an interesting one because if Oklahoma and Texas have the right coaches, they will probably play twice because the Big 12 Conference is probably not as strong this season as it was last year. I think the Big 12 was a really good league last year, and I think it still has a chance to be pretty good, Um, but this season, I think it's an easier slate for for Oklahoma and Texas, who you know, collected the most talent out of high school. Um, those two teams should play twice. So I'm not sure I buy much into Texas, just because we hear the same song and dance from a year to year basis with them. And then obviously Oklahoma going to have to prove, um, you know, that last year was w- was a fluke. Um, even though most believe it probably was, it's something that's supposed to be proven on the field. Um, I do think long term is an interesting one though, because you look at a program like UCF. Uh, they have the the first have the most enrollment in the country uh they have the most alumni in the country they are the biggest public university in the united states um this is a potential sleeping giant there in ucs um you know there's a reason why this big three florida schools did not want them to be in their power five leagues um houston's another one a very interesting one that was kind of held down their thumb was kind of you know, the Oklahoma, Texas, and Texas A&M some kind of helped them out of uh, being a Power 5 league for, uh, you know, the scare of uh, what they could possibly be as a as a big, large university with a lot of resources in the state of Texas and the great city of Houston. Uh, that's an interesting one to see how they go, how they do long term. And um, I think what's really interesting here is, you know, you have those, you know, you have Kansas State and Utah in the same league. I mean, that's the same thing. You have Brigham Young, which has an international brand being, you know, a, a, a school that is, uh, you know, that is married with the uh, LDS religion. And, uh, you know, that's so that's a nationwide brand. So I think, uh, you know, I think it's Yarmouth is how his name is said. I think that he's done an excellent job He's taking over. Um, and perhaps if he had been the president before with the work that he's done, maybe Oklahoma and Texas wouldn't be looking for greener pastures. Um, But at the end of the day, the Big 12 conference was extremely poorly run. Um, You know, you could point the blame at Oklahoma and Texas for, you know, forming it and, you know, backing it with their financial prowess for as long as they did. Um, But ultimately it was a, a train wreck of a league and poorly, poorly managed, poorly officiated, you know, just anything that you can think of with the word poorly, it's associated with it. But I do think, I do think the new, the new commissioner has done, just an outstanding job, and the outlook for the Big 12 is incredible, especially considering, you know, they're going to be at 14 teams, and uh, with Oklahoma and Texas in the league, the revenue sharing was just a shade under $40 million. And uh, with the additions they've made, those 14 will share $35 million, which, um, you know, obviously if they had Oklahoma and Texas, I mean, that would go up substantially, but to only lose about $5 million per school, uh, given the state, I mean, look, look at what just happened in the PAC 12. They couldn't get a $30 million a year deal signed with the programs that they had. And, uh, you know, that was with Oregon and Washington involved. Um, and look what the PAC 12, look, and look what the big 12 was able to do. They put programs, you know, you have Tampa, Arizona, Arizona has become a really good recruiting base. You know, some names like Pele Ringo, uh, Spencer Rattler, um, Dijon Robinson, some guys that have come out of there recently, Um, so that's a, that's a very interesting ad to get the four corner state. Uh, I think that Colorado is one of the most fascinating stories in the country, bringing in, uh, you know, coach Deion Sanders. Um, that's a, that's a program that could be, you know, solid. They just brought in a pretty good recruiting class and transfer class. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's definitely, there's some intrigue there for sure. Um as to how this is all gonna play out, but I think the Big Twelve has put themselves in an incredible position for the long term, with, without a doubt. And uh you know, Oklahoma and Texas, uh, you know, they're they're gonna go somewhere else where, you know, they're gonna make more money and they'll be prob they'll be about the same as they were in the Big Twelve. Not a lot's really gonna change for either of those programs. Um, you know, going to the SEC. That's a good regional fit for them. So I think it's still going to be good for Oklahoma and Texas, but uh, it is – the the new Big 12 is probably the thing that I'm most interested in college football-wise when everything uh, shifts around in 2024.
4: Should be a lot of fun here hanging out with Tim Bailey from the Tim Bailey Show. Uh, You mentioned Spencer Radley. You mentioned Spencer Radley, who, of course, is a quarterback for the Gamecocks. You know him very well. Of course, uh, the coach that we have over here, Shane Beamer, was at South Carolina, traveled around a little bit before landing on the campus in Norman, and in Oklahoma. Uh, now he is the head football coach here at South Carolina. For a guy that has watched this guy grow into his position when he was Oklahoma, and you also watch the recruiting process of Spencer Rattler when I believe he grew up in Arizona. He comes there to Oklahoma, highly recruited, very heavily talked about winning a Heisman, was beat out by the gentleman who just won the Heisman, but he transferred with his head coach over to Southern Cal. Bringing it back, what is your thoughts of South Carolina's program, knowing the factor that you know, of course, Shane Beamer on a different level as a Oklahoma guy, and you're very familiar with this quarterback Spencer Rattler.
9: Well, I can tell you this: when there was rumors that Lincoln Riley might leave for the NFL to Dallas, uh, those the, where there's smoke, there's often fire, right? Um, Lincoln Riley, we all kind of thought he would eventually maybe jump to the NFL to the Dallas Cowboys. You know, being from Yoshi, Texas, I think we were all blindsided when he went to Southern California. Um, but I can tell you this, this is how highly Joe Castiglione, who is pretty much unanimously agreed to be the best athletic director in the country. If I, from my understanding, and this is, you know, what I've heard from few sources, that Shane Beamer, if Lincoln Riley had left that season would have been the head coach of the university of Oklahoma. Um, if he was available you know Shane Beamer loves South Carolina. He would never have bolted after one season, even for a place like Oklahoma. That's because that's the kind of guy he is. If he was available, I think that he may have been the head coach of Oklahoma instead of Brent Venables when Lincoln Riley left. If he had stayed one more year on that staff, I think he's the new head coach at OU. I think, and I think just as highly of him. I think Shane Beamer is an incredible coach. Uh, I'm not sure where he can get South Carolina overall from a ceiling perspective. I'm not so certain. Uh, you know, the ceiling is as high as it was, you know, with Spurrier, and not because of inferior coaching from Beamer, but whenever you have a conglomerate of brands and, you know, and programs, it's just difficult. Clemson's a much better program now in its own state. That's tough. The is about to add Oklahoma and Texas, much bigger brands. You know, that's tough. Um, so I'm not sure what the ceiling looks like for the Gamecocks, but I do – uh, I do think that Shane Beamer is an incredible coach and I think the game costs are damn lucky to have him and I know he feels he's damn lucky to be there and I think uh that combination of things is, is beautiful. As for Spencer Rattler, I you know, I think he kind of got, you know, screwed just a little bit in that Oklahoma scenario. I actually think that even though Spencer even though Caleb Williams is a great player and he developed into a great player, um, he had really big freshman moments in November of that season that I think cost Oklahoma a chance at the college football playoff. Um, and now that we know Lincoln Riley had been talking to USC since September at least, um, how how focused was he on that 2021 season? So I, so I do feel like Spencer got a bit of a short end of the stick because he was looked at as a potential number one pick guy. Um, and, you know, not a lot's changed in terms of that – to me, not from the number one pick, but the talent that everyone, you know, fumed over is still there. I mean, Spencer Rattler can make every throw imaginable with ease. His arm talent is absolutely silly. Um, (laughs) He had a throw against Florida at Oklahoma where he just does the absolute dumb thing that that you can't do where he's just walking around, he's about to get hit, and then he throws across his body through like three defenders for a completion for a first down, it, it's an impossible throw that like he and maybe a handful of NFL quarterbacks can make. He has that kind of on talent. He has, he has make-it-easy, silly, water hose arm talent that you just can't teach. Um, for him, it's always been about making decisions, and, um, you know, he needs, he needs really good structure, in my opinion, as well. But I, I do think he has that with Shane Beamer. I think this would be a big year for Spencer Rattler. I had a little segment where I said over under twenty three touchdown passes for Spencer Rattler this year, and I said over. I wouldn't be surprised if he's over thirty. Um, I really, I really like, um, I really like his odds of really upping his stock. And personally, if I was voting on the SEC, he would have been my first team quarterback because he's significantly better than the guy that leads LSU that got that award. So. Uh, Spencer Rattler, K.J. Jefferson will be my top two guys in the SEC. Jaden Daniels is nowhere near as good as either of those two players, so even though he gets
4: the phrase that he does. Hanging out here with Tim Bailey from the Tim Bailey Show, talking about Spencer Rattler, talking about Shane Beamer, and the Gamecocks that we talk about. Because why? Because these two guys spent time in Norman over there in Oklahoma. He is very familiar with them because he will be a guy we go to when it comes to catching up with the Oklahoma Sooners, and a few other teams around the Big 12 that now will be a part of the SEC. Now, something else that I did hear on your show, and I'd like you to kind of talk about it, I thought you covered it well, college football. Got to have some new rules, some new things happening there, Tim. Uh, You got a few minutes to kind of give us an update, a rundown, and uh, your pros and cons on what they are changing and things that will look a little different.
9: Yeah, so the first one is, I think, one that's been overdue for a while, uh, calling consecutive timeouts um it's really clunky the the idea of most of these rules is try to clean up clean up how it looks visually on the television and make it not last as long um this is a rule that ultimately has probably been necessary for a while I I think one of the least favorite things that I have about watching college football is when a team has two or three timeouts they just sit there and call all three of them before a field goal at the end of the half you know that drives me insane not good for viewership and honestly there's no reason
0: strategically other
9: than that reason to call that many timeouts and it's just it's just not good for the game uh it also any time it punishes a lack of discipline because uh, the other most time for a timeout is after a timeout uh nearly expiring a play clock like if you get a timeout and then you need another timeout because you're about to get a delay of game you should absolutely be penalized for that the lack of discipline so i think that's a good rule change the, the second rule change is that at the end of the first and third quarters, if there was a penalty the play, there will not be a untimed down in the first or third quarter. Uh, I don't really know that I care much for that rule. I I don't think that one additional play is, uh, is a big deal. Um, and I do think that the additional five to six seconds or – if that, if that additional play becomes a run, now that's, a, you know, now the clock's running, uh, I think that's a disingenuous. I don't know that that's a good change. I don't think that's good in the spirit of the game. Fortunately, that's not something that comes up often, but uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, uh, I don't appreciate that rule change. I don't think that's a good one. Um, but, again, probably not super impactful. Um, the last one is the most impactful for college football, which is the fact that uh, we will now have a running clock um for so it'll no longer be that the that the clock will stop while the chains are reset uh until inside of two minutes of each half. So in the second and the fourth quarters. Um, this is a very, very massive change for college football as throughout its history it's always been that the clock stops while the chains were reset. I think that's one of the coolest rules that college football had that makes it unique from the NFL and even from the high school level. So I'm not going to pretend like I think that this is a good rule change. Uh, I think it takes a little bit of the uniqueness away uh, from college football. I'm glad they still have it at least for the final two minutes. But, uh, you know, at this point, what, are you, what what's next? You know, make it add a two-minute warning and then take that away. Just, you know, there's a, that's just one of those rules that, you know, trying to fix things that aren't broken right you know and that's that's one thing uh you know that sometimes these guys do they try to fix things that aren't broken and that wasn't broken and uh you know but they fixed it you know so to speak anyways i do i am curious to see how that will affect statistics um because obviously that'll be less maps most likely um so probably less yards uh for some of these offenses um so particularly quarterbacks, uh, you know, in systems that throw a lot, like, say, a Texas Tech offense, you know, under Mike Leeds, one they will throw a million times and play hurry up. And, you know, that's going to be less snaps for those offenses. But it'll be interesting to see how that changes, you know, stats. But otherwise, uh, you know, from my understanding, those are, the three, those are the only three rule changes that I'm aware of. Uh, and uh, they have varying degrees of, of uh, what they do to affect the game.
4: Well, it could be uh, very interesting in in many ways here. And, and again, trying to keep you guys up to date. Tim Bailey with the Tim Bailey Show here hanging out with us, getting us up to date, educated us here from uh, college football. Always uh, good to catch up with you, Tim. Now, you know, uh, the other thing, and I said this on the show last week, we paid some homage uh, to the pirate, uh, and I believe you did that as well. I was listening, again, like I said, yesterday morning to your show, and I thought you brought up a lot of really good Really good conversations, but Mike Leach was a pioneer in so many ways, and his one-liners were automatic zingers. They were automatic classic bites on the Internet, kind of like Nick Saban, but a little differently. And this is a guy, by the way, if I'm not mistaken, has his degree in law besides coming coach college football. Uh, but he was very smart, and the way he went about it uh, Remind me a lot of uh, the basketball coach that used to be at Indiana, Bobby Knight. They had very similar – personalities, but one's on a basketball court, one's on a football field, but we would without a doubt miss hearing the Pirate, hearing a guy who I thought was just really good and very personable, and had a heart bigger than you could really see because the sarcasm was always so heavy, but yet the way he just went after and and did the things he did, man, it's definitely going to be missed. Not only at Mississippi State, but there were so many other places he stopped before he got there.
9: Oh, oh, man. Uh, I know people that know Mike Leach, you know, on a somewhat personal level. Uh, Mike was a very social guy, um, very down-to-earth guy. He didn't view himself the way that maybe he was viewed publicly, and what I mean by that is uh, publicly he was viewed as a public figure and, um, you know, a guy that could be put on a pedestal, and uh, he really viewed himself as a guy. Um, you know, he's known for just hanging out, you know, <laughs> hanging out with different people and just telling stories and being a fun guy just like, you know, anybody's grandpa, I guess, would be how you'd imagine. And, um, the stories about him are just, you know, they're, they're outstanding. Um, just such an incredible man, probably better man than he was football coach. And that says a lot because he was a hell of a football coach, uh, truly, um, he has made an impact just as well everywhere he's been. I know that uh, Kentucky fans think very highly of him. Uh, Oklahoma fans think very highly of him. Mike Leach was a big reason why Oklahoma won their national championship in 2000. Um, if uh, I know some people might forget, but Mike Leach was the offensive coordinator in 1999 and is the one who recruited Josh Heifel to come to Oklahoma and implemented the air raid offense that the Sooners ran uh in, in their national championship win the following season against Florida State. Um so and then he immediately goes to Texas Tech and, you know, in a lot of ways some of these offenses are not, you know, air raid based, but uh the air raid offense showed, you know, others, you know, this spread stuff is real. Um you can do a lot of things and, you know, it's really evolved the game. You know, this game is uh you know, they always say defense wins championships and uh, you know, I might say defense wins championships when the other team's best wide receiver gets hurt maybe. because uh, that's what we've seen in the last couple of seasons. Um, but offense has really been the key factor in winning championships for the most part for the last near decade. I mean, you can't have a defense that just allows everything, but um offense has been in college football overall for a while now, and um, that's been evident by you know 2019 LSU, 2020 Florida, or 2020 Alabama, 2018 Alabama, uh, 2018 Alabama and Clemson getting the national title mostly off of offensive prowess. Um, you know we have had wild, high scoring national championships like the like the game in 2015 between Alabama and Clemson. So um, part of the formula has been have good have a really good spread offense with a, with a very good quarterback and uh, a defense that doesn't give up just as many points as uh, <laughs> just as many points on the crack back. And, uh, you know, that's been the formula for winning titles. And uh, a lot of that has to do with the way Mike Leach and, you know, you can also, you know, tip your hat to rich Rodriguez as well for, for, for kind of, you know, his take on the, you know, you know, zone read stuff that, that added to this as well, but spread offense has, you know, infiltrated all four corners of of football at every level now, Uh, even at the NFL level. You know, you see air raid variations at Kansas City. You know, the Chiefs have been very successful running that. Uh, You saw the Patriots early on with uh, Tom Brady, Uh, well, more in the middle here. There are a lot of air raid concepts in that. Um, So, you know, Lincoln Riley is an air raid guy. Um, Cliff Kingsbury. You know, you can go so on and so forth. The air raid has uh, has changed the game, uh, and it's become more of a passing attack with prolific numbers, and and that has a lot to do with Mike Leach. Mike Leach was, you know, the guy, uh, you know, that helped spread that him and Hell Mummy, and um, you know, so it's changed everything about the game. You you literally cannot talk about today's college football and not bring up Mike Leach because he's that impactful on the game and. If Mike Leach had went somewhere, say, you know, to Alabama or Tennessee or somewhere where he could get whatever recruits he wanted as well, um, he would have probably won national championships. Um, very similar in a way to, to Bill Snyder to me. Uh, he decided to take very difficult challenges, and that's just the way that he was built and wired. And, uh, you know, he, you know, Washington State, Texas Tech, and uh, Mississippi State, I mean, let's just be completely honest here. Those are very difficult jobs. Uh, very difficult jobs. And uh, he did a great job at all three places. And, um, you know, particularly I think Washington State's one where uh, what he did was pretty unbelievable. Uh, Washington State was by far the worst Power Five program at the time that he got there. And within a few years, they won 11 games. I mean, it's it's crazy what he was able to do. And if the Hall of Fame decides to keep him out because he's at 596 for his winning percentage and not 600. Uh, I would be uh, very, very disappointed as well as many college
4: football fans and and experts out there, I think. I agree 100% with you. As We are wrapping it up here with Tim Bailey, part of the Tim Bailey Show. He runs it in five-star fashion. You can catch up with him on Facebook over there. Timothy Bailey does an incredible job covering you up, getting you prepared for the season that begins today, week zero. Of course, South Carolina State on the board today. They'll be playing later this afternoon. The first game is going to be the Irish of Notre Dame, they're going to be heading – well, they're already there now in Ireland. They'll be playing Navy, and that's going to be a good one to watch on many levels. What's which, which the game that you're looking for, Tim, when you try to look around here? Any games on this week zero? I know it's kind of a, a touch and go here, but are there any games here that you're watching for a team maybe to be upset or just something you're looking for out of the games?
9: Uh, I don't really necessarily see any upsets today. Um, the two probably best games to watch um, – <laughs> If you just like close games and you are not you don't really care how good the teams are, FIU and La Tech uh, are about as even as you can get. Both teams lost four or five to end the season, and the one game that lost, that FIU won in that stretch was uh, against La Tech in a 34-28 uh, to 28 double overtime game. So that's about as evenly bad as you can get. So that's one that maybe <laughs> if you just want a close game, that might be one to watch. But uh, the game of the day to me is – uh, Ohio traveling out to San Diego state to take on the Aztecs. Uh, these are two group of five teams that are likely in my estimation to win 10 or more games and compete for a potential new year, six game. So this could have new year, six, uh, you know, implications in a week zero game. And that's a very rare thing. Um, Curtis Rourke, uh, is going up there to take on Brady Hoke and his, you know, very nasty and, uh, and uh, disruptive defense out there in, in San Diego and that beautiful brand new stadium that they've, that they've built out there.
4: Today we'll so. kind of look around and see what we'll definitely keep an eye on the TV today to kind of see what's going on throughout the broadcast here. Tim man, again, always appreciate your brother. Uh, sorry. There was a little bit of delay there on the, uh, on the interview there, but I do want to say, again, thank you so much for coming back in, man. I can't begin to tell you how proud we are of you, and we're going to sit back and watch you, man. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you guys are going to be doing big things over there. We're going to be catching up with you, man, on the Tim Bailey show. Uh, For the listeners, man, I know we can find you on Facebook, but are there any other avenues? Uh, And, and again, kind of give yourself an opportunity to give yourself a plug for those who are listening in to you today. Yeah, so um,
9: I actually uh, recently took a position with a new media company called College Football Dogs. Uh, I am the executive vice president, and that's actually we are that that is also where my show is is originated with is with the Dogs Media Network, um, which is uh, which is an affiliate of College Football Dogs. Uh, collegefootballdogs.com, dot com. We have really great writers. Uh, if you want to check out some articles and some game previews, uh, you know, college football, we are uh, your source for. Uh, unlimited college football content we have several different podcasts we have uh we have our main podcast we've got you know if you're into a little howard stern a little not suitable for viewers we've got packing off the podcast uh, we've got various other ones so check us out collegefootballdogs.com um you can find me on facebook and twitter at the tim bailey show and uh, also real tim bailey on on twitter um and then instagram as well but uh but yeah, big shout out to College Football Dogs. We have an incredible team, and uh, it's uh, it, it's awesome to work with those guys. Uh, you know, shout out to uh, Hunter Dworski the uh, president of College Football Dogs, who uh, brought me on, and uh, we uh, he, he's a big USC fan, so we've been giving him a little grief today. Uh, but <laughs> but big uh, uh, but big
4: things are happening at
9: College Football Dogs. You'll definitely want to be a part of that and, and keep an eye there for sure.
4: We'll do our part to help you guys get out and about, man. Anything else we can do, uh, of course, let us know, Tim. But, again, proud of you, bud, man. I just remember so many conversations so many years ago building up to this day where you now have your show called The Tim Bailey Show. Again, you can find Tim over on Facebook at Timothy Bailey. An incredible show, three days a week, guys. I promise you, you'll thank me later for checking him in today. Tim, uh, as always, man, enjoy it. Not sure the weather there. It's hotter than hell here. Uh, they're saying it's kind of a uh, a preview. If you don't get right, this is what you get to look forward to, uh, is it to be about 107 here today. But uh, hopefully it's not it's as like hot there wherever Ohio. you
9: are. It's 100 here in Ohio, dude. 100. It's crazy.
4: It's crazy. <laughs> it's
9: not usual. It's not your usual yeah. September weather here in Ohio. It's very humid, very hot. Well, so. So, uh, I'll tell you this, brother. It's
4: I don't know who ain't living right. Listen to me. Who ain't living right? Can you please get right so the rest of it, so the rest of us can get better today? Because I tell you, man, this heat ain't no joke. It has been a hot summer. It has been a wet summer. But it is college football, time, man. And, again, brother, keep doing what you're doing, man. This is just the beginning of so many great things that are coming your way, my
7: friend.
9: Absolutely, man, and uh, I'm glad to see you're back here on the on uh, on the radio. Uh, I was sad whenever you know there was a little time where
7: where you had to take
9: some off, and I'm certainly glad to see you back doing what you love as well. So,
4: you got it, buddy. Hey, we will catch up soon. I'm going to catch up with you off the air as well because I do want to catch up and make sure that uh, we got a few things. Is anything I can do? Anything we can do for you guys over there? Please let us know. But uh, I look forward to adding you into the portfolio over here, buddy. Anything I can do for your show? Let us know as well, bud. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, guys. There he goes, the one and only. Of course, that is Tim Bailey from the Tim Bailey Show. I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing more exciting for a guy to see somebody who has really stepped up and stepped on every opportunity given to him and done it the right way. Tim Bailey's one of those guys. Uh, I know Sheena Quick. She used to be on the show with us here. Of course, she does a lot of great stuff over there in uh, Charlotte with the Panthers. Uh, You know, there are a handful of guys and girls that have come through what we would say the studio of Southern Sports Central who have taken their talents and created more, maybe taken what they heard here and and took it with them but formed it to their own thing and and continues to do things. I mean, we are very blessed to have so many great individuals that have come in with us. Guys, we got to take a break, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to kind of talk quickly about a few things coming up this week. Uh, One is another social media outlet that we do talk on. On a weekly basis, of course, that's Twitter and Spaces. Uh, We go on there. We talk high school football. This week, we may take a lot of high school talk, but we're going to average in some college football talk because it is college football season. We are officially there, and it is everywhere on your TV screen. But right now, taking a break, coming back, we will get into the final little bit of segment and recapping today's great show, guys. Don't go anywhere. More Southern Sports Central right after this, guys.
10: Three claps, we're ready tonight, three claps, three claps, three claps. claps. 27 years ago, I sat in this locker room, just like you guys, on a knee getting ready to play a game. I walked down the locker room, it still smells the same. It takes you back real quick. One of the things that caught me was how fast 27 years goes by. There's so many people that live vicariously through you. I would give anything tonight to jump in one of these uniforms with you guys.
8: To do something I never had an opportunity to do. My father never saw me play. You play for your father tonight.
10: That feeling goes away. It goes away, and it doesn't come every Friday night. It comes when you get married. It comes when your child's born. So you get it. But you just don't get it every Friday night you're gonna miss that more than anything in the world that's what I miss and so you seniors that are focused on college you're focused on your work after high school what you're gonna do next you're focused on tomorrow aren't you you've got plenty of time for tomorrow But these tonights, they're going by fast. You focus on tonight. This is about you guys. This is about the guys in this room that care about each other, that know there's only so many more of these nights left. It's about you. They're a faceless opponent. They just happen to draw the short straw tonight. Now get your asses ready to play. Win on three. One, two, three.
1: Now, for the utmost reports on sports of all sorts, let's join Richie Altman and Eugene Benton on Southern Sports Central.
4: Oh, boy, oh, boy, has it been a great show here today. A great way to end the Saturday segment, guys. We've had a great summer together. What a run it's been as we, of course, look forward to taking it to the next level. This is our final Saturday morning show because why? Because it it's college game day. This time next week uh, we'll actually be watching some college football as uh, the first college on-location game day. I know they had one today in studio, but next week they go to Charlotte. It's North Carolina. It's South Carolina. It's Clemson. It's Duke. It's the Battles of Carolinas, period. Didn't think about it that way, did you? Now, Clemson, by the way, don't overlook Duke. Duke was points away from having a really good season. But I don't think Clemson will. Dabo said this is a team that is by far more focused, more driven, more on point than the last five or six teams. So we'll be interested to see, has this team come back? We'll find out in just days away. Now, again, South Carolina, they do have their hands full, defensively, they're going to have to play assignment football. They're going to have to be there, be aware, be at the spot, because I'm going to tell you something. This quarterback for North Carolina is a top draft pick, could be, might be, and should be the number one quarterback off the board. It depends how he does. Uh, Then there's Spencer Rattler. If he can stay in the pocket, he can check off receivers, and he can do the things that need to be done, he could possibly move up the board as well. Clemson, well, they've got their quarterback. Let's see what he can do now as a starter. Where does he fit in? Uh, I mean, there's just so many great headlines. And don't forget, here in the Great State, we've got other colleges around the Palmetto State that are ready to go. I can't wait to watch Morris Gray. What is he going to do with the Citadel? He's got great coaches. He's going to take a few more years, maybe not this year, but definitely next year. I feel like it's going to be that year. But this year could be a very impressive step and a major step into going in the way they want to go. Charleston Southern, a wonderful facility, and they continue to upgrade it. You can see it if you're heading down. Of course, University Boulevard heading towards Goose Creek, North Charleston area, right off the interstate. What did they have? South Carolina State. What does that headline look like? Buddy Pugh going to play today? We wish those Bulldogs the best of luck. But this is his final tour. This is it. He's done what he can do, and he's going to take his ball in and he's going to go home. Does he end up in a press box? Does he end up on a studio? I believe he would be a great guy. To be part of somebody's broadcast. So, again, Buddy Pugh, probably not looking for that, looking for some retirement and some kick the feet up and relax a little bit. And watch some of those guys like Shaq Davis, who's in the NFL, and a few more, of course, that do it. But then, of course, there are other schools Newberry, North Greenville, Anderson, Limestone, and I'm just naming a few. And oh, don't forget the boys balling at the beach at Coastal Carolina. What will the Shanta Clears do this year? Not sure they'll have the year that they've had, but they do have a quarterback that decided to come back. That's a question for him as well. You know, the one thing that I will leave you is this. I was always curious, and I watched the 30 for 30, I believe it's what it was, just a few nights ago about Miami. How did they went from being so great to being so, well, not so great? The U, it meant something. When you walked in the room, those guys, they would throw up the U with their hands, and you knew it meant something, and they did it. With not just their mouths, but they did it with their body of work. But there's always something as an athlete, you understand about a few things, tradition, and all the things that go with it. And for me, watching them tear down the Orange Bowl, it just seems like there was a piece of the heart for the U that went along with it. Since you see all these mergers of teams going in a different directions, you remember there was a t- there was a conference back in those days called the Big East, and it had Pitt, it had Syracuse, it had Virginia Tech. It had Miami. Most of those teams not quite even remotely as good as they were back in those days, and I'm sure there's a lot of questions happening. With all these merges and all these conference realignments, are we going to see that same issue? Are the Texases and the Oklahomas, are they going to be relevant? You remember when A&M came in with old Johnny Football, Johnny Menzel, they were, well, a flash in the pan and doing the things. Quite frankly, haven't been that. This is a big year. A lot of people think that this is A&M's year to do big things. Missouri came in very similar, flexing and doing great things as well. Will they maintain? Will they get back in? And they do welcome in some old family members of their big 12 days in Oklahoma and Texas in just a few years? A lot of questions, but we'll put a lot of those on the back burner because it's time to spot the ball, blow that whistle, and start the game. And I, for one, can tell you I've read enough about who's got the best water boy, who's got the best parking lot, the best toilets, and every other best this, that, and the other. Now let's put the best of the best on the field. Let's square up these pads and let's get after it because that, my friends, is what it's all about. It's about playing the game. It's about making these memories, the traditions. It's going to be a different look college year. This year will be one. Next year will be a different one. And we'll just sit back and enjoy every minute that we get. I do want to thank my friends. Guys, today that joined me that made today a great show started early this morning at 10 15 with Jarrell Hendricks. He's with Moving the Chains, covered the state, did a great job with high school football Friday night. Lights as he jumped in here with me and talked about all the teams around the state and some of the places they went, like they did this, where they headed over there, of course, to Sumter and the Gamecocks. That was a good game, and uh, well, n- not as what we thought it was going to be. We really thought Ridgeview was going to be a little bit more of a battle, uh, but unfortunately. Those Gamecocks started putting it down heavy, and the rest of it was a conversation to be had later on. Now, after that, of course, 11 o'clock, Kevin Bilodeau, who travels the low country, did a great job giving us up to date on all the scores and highlights around the low country, all the teams that are buying and selling, who's up, who's down. If you're on the low country, keep your eye on Somerville. They're a team that's number one in the state. They should maintain that after their big win on the road at Carolina Forest. They'll come back now next week, Friday night, Somerville will host Berkeley and one of the oldest state rivalries in the well, one of the oldest rivalries here in the state. We'll be on location. It should be, I hope to be a good game, and we'll be there to kind of keep you up to date, ready to report back on it on the next show. Then, of course, James Island, boy, the Trojans—they just hammered out Stahl. They're going to continue to build up their uh, inventory as well as their market in the stock market as well, guys. So we've got so many teams to watch for. We'll then do it week after week. And we're going to be live right here on Southern Sports Central. Remember, on Tuesday night at 7.30, if you're on Twitter, go to Central. You can find us right there doing a live. And, of course, we're going to be hanging out with you, answering questions, and doing the things we need to do in spaces, guys. So, for Richie Altman right here, I will thank you once again for listening to us every Saturday morning. We will be back live again. Stay tuned for the time and the date. We're going to go to the morning shows, guys, so don't go anywhere. Follow us on Facebook at Southern Sports Central and on, well, Facebook at Southern Sports Central, guys. Until next time, enjoy the weekend. Stay cool, stay hydrated, stay blessed, and stay in tune. We'll be right back next week right here on
6: SouthernSportsCentral.com, guys.